1: Jeff in control Robinson was a leader in their community. He was honorable, a voice of reason and compassion, a role model, a fierce competitor, and so goddamn funny. But to us here at Frontline Gaming, and to me, he was so much more than that. He was family. N- not the kind of family you're born into, but the kind of family that you choose to belong to. Our relationship was forged over rivalry respect, love, and Long Island iced teas. And I, like a lot of you listening, am really going to miss him. So if you can, take off your hat, raise a glass, and join me in a moment of silence to remember him. Jeff, in your name, in your honor, and in your memory, we shall echo your name across eternity. I love you, buddy. This episode is for you. Welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is a 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Pob, and today we have a subject that I have always wanted to talk about. Mr. Jeff and Control Robinson, myself and Reese constantly talk about this subject, and I'm personally really glad that we're talking about it because we're going to be talking about the history of competitive 40k. We're going to break down everything starting from the days of the old Rogue rogue Traders to the first large community-driven tournaments, and finally, to the large monthly century-breaking Slobberknockers that we have today. I'm really excited. We're also going to sprinkle some Jeff stories along the way, some of our best moments at tournaments with Jeff. It should be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. And of course, I brought with me two Pillars of of the competitive 40K community, two men who have been around for far too long than they would care to admit. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative. Hello? And and Mr. Rhesius himself, Robbins.
2: From, uh, like, what, ten feet from your desk? (laughs) (laughs) From ten feet
1: from my desk, uh, and one Skype message away. (laughs) And then, finally... One other person, uh, the only person with the knowledge and voice to carry a 40k history lesson, Mr. Sean Morgan.
3: I'll be the one who has to do all the correcting of uh, Pablo now that, you know, Jeff isn't helping me out with that. But I feel confident that I am overconfident enough to continue in that role.
0: You have a lot of practice, Sean.
3: Yes, 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 I, I would say I do. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Am I just here as the oldest person You could find that knows how to work a computer And play 40k <laughs> He's on you to got us me. boys He got me <laughs> um, So
1: we have the talking heads <laughs> Well, We have the History Channel logo Playing in, in the background on the screen You guys can't see it but it's there I promise And let's jump right into it So this episode was brought to you by The brand new Frontline Gaming Network uh, was, of course, also brought to you by Frontline Gaming. Your one-stop shop for all tabletop goodies. We have a sale going on. Go to FrontlineGaming.org for, to buy all of those awesome mats. Uh, Reese, they're 20% off?
2: They are Yeah, all FLG mats are 20% off until August 12th. Mm-hmm. So if you had your eye on a, a new mat, any cool design, we've also released like four or five new designs with the sale. And they're in all kinds of different sizes. We have Kill Team sized mats we have apocalypse size four by eight foot mats six by three which is appropriate for star wars legion anything you're looking for we probably have it so check it out and if you want to get one it's a good time to do so because you can save some money
1: and finally this episode is brought to you by the amazing patrons over on our patreon page who i would like to personally thank for helping me get through uh this very difficult week um a lot of you guys uh were absolutely the best, um, I tried to do some of the editing, something special for Jeff, and you guys really helped out a lot. So I wanted to personally thank all the patrons who helped out there. <clears throat> and then one other announcement. Uh, Chapter Tactics will be sponsoring an award at this coming upcoming Las Vegas Open. Uh, it will be presented this year at the LVO and will be awarded every year at the Las Vegas Open from now on. Uh, there will be more details later as I solidify things, um, but it's something I've always wanted to do. Uh, and, of course, uh, it will be dedicated to Jeff in, in one way or not, one way or another. Um, uh, so, more details looking forward to that. Should be, should be a good time. All right. So, let's talk about the early history of competitive 40K. Now, uh, I, I haven't been around as long as uh, Reese and Paul have. Um, so, I've got an opening question for the, both of them. Reese and Paul and Sean, uh, in your opinions, <laughs> when did competitive 40K quote-unquote, and the competitive scene actually start? When was it born?
2: Well, That's that's a tough one. It's a really tough one. (laughs) I'll jump out first, and you guys can tell me how stupid I am, but uh, Competitive 40k really began the first time two competitive people played the game. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds silly, but bear with me, because I started playing at the dawn of 2nd edition. I just missed Rogue Trader by like two months. And um, the game was competitive the first time my buddy Sean and I sat down and played the game and both of us tried to win really, really hard. And that's where it, the roots of it are all the way back to the very beginning. The game was definitely not intended to be played in a competitive fashion in the sense of like a sport, but it's, it's still a game where there's a winner and a loser. So it, it's, it's in the roots of the game itself. And you have to consider that when you make any other argument about the the birth of competitive 40K. Now, in terms of like an organized uh, event, GW, to my knowledge, was the first. And that was with the Rogue Trader tournaments and the Grand tournaments, which they started very, very early on. Um, and that is what kind of like snowballed into everything else that we have today. But it was a much different beast back then.
0: I don't remember if it was uh, in the... Like the the uh, second part of like second edition or the beginning part of third edition, but that's when white dwarves started featuring like the grand tournaments and like pictures of grand tournaments and letting people know they could come and play competitively at their organized play events. It wasn't called organized play, but that was that was the case. Okay, so th- <laughs> it was mostly
1: just Games Workshop, right? That ran these tournaments.
0: Well, in individual stores too,
2: right? And <clears throat> it, it was. It was actually fantasy first. Like fantasy had tournaments long before 40k even existed. Mm. So it's like when we think of Rogue Trader tournaments of 40k, it came along after fantasy because fantasy had been around for many, many, many years before 40k was even created.
0: Uh, back then, I didn't have the ability to travel. Like, I was so jealous of a couple of people that I knew that could travel to these tournaments. Like, I knew one guy specifically who, who traveled to Baltimore from Atlanta. And that yes. was just such a long way away. And he, and he went and he got his <laughs> picture. Like, they took a picture of the 150, 160 people that came and put him in the white or whatever. And I remember seeing that and just being so envious. So I mean, this is a good buddy of mine just being so amiss and he got to travel and I didn't have the means to do that at that time. And this was, this was, um, 92, 93. Early nineties.
2: Like yeah. yeah. Wow. And a funny story, um, Paul, a buddy, a really good friend of ours that's local to the San Diego area. He's taking a break, but he got to go to that first fantasy GT when he was a teenager and he beat the, the, and I'm, the name is escaping me. It's one of the, you know, icons of, of 40K game design. He beat him at the GT in fantasy, uh, when he was like 15 or 16 day fe And he corrected the, the, the writer of the rules of the game on a rule to win the game, which is like <laughs> the most perfect 40K thing, or I'm sorry, fantasy thing tabletop gaming thing you could ever do. Poetic. And he has a picture and he's just like a little kid. He's one of my really good buddies. And he's right there taking a picture with, um, God, I can't remember. It was, you know, it was one of the the, the, the great names like Andy or like Chambers Andy or whatever. Andy Chambers? Yeah. Chambers, right? It was Andy Chambers, I believe. And they're like arm in arm. And it was like little Dave at 15 like defeated the guy that <laughs> made the game to win the first American GT.
0: <laughs> that is strong. That's cool. It, it's super cool. Well, Baltimore used to be like the U.S. Nationals. Like if if you if you could go in and compete and win in Baltimore, that was that was the pinnacle that we had in the U.S.
2: Because it was the only thing we had. Well, I
0: mean, <laughs> fair fair enough, but it was still a huge tournament, you know. Well,
2: and
3: and this is the era when the the terms RTT and GT are coined, is like because those were originally official GW terms that like referred to specific kinds of tournaments. Yeah. Yes. Fair Enough.
0: Yep.
2: Yeah, that's where we got them from.
1: Uh, so so why don't you two uh, and then Sean. You can join in here because I think you started around fourth. Fifth? Yeah, it was.
3: I started playing. I mean, I'd played in second edition and some of third, and then I kind of quit for a while. And I came back in late fourth and started doing tournaments a little bit after that.
1: Right on. Uh, so, so uh, starting starting with uh, Paul, um, why don't you tell me about your first large 40k tournament that you attended? So, like, when I mean large, I mean like like it was a big deal to you. Like, you 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 know, it was a spectacle. You'll definitely remember it.
0: Yeah, fair, fair enough. So um, we had a, a shop here in uh, in Georgia called the War Room, and it was uh, it, it took over an old grocery store, and, and so you know the size of normal grocery stores is it's pretty epic, and so their 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 war game space was like half of the grocery store, and so my <laughs> first large tournament, but this was only still like thirty or forty people at an RTT. And Mm. and I probably didn't get my first taste of that size of of event until 3rd edition. Uh, My first Grand Tournament was when Games Workshop brought the Grand Tournament to Atlanta in 2004. Mm. I think this was uh, about 10 minutes after 4th edition released. (laughs) How'd you do? Uh, I got 7th. Nice. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, it was in a very interesting time. Uh, and then the next tournament I went to was in Baltimore, uh, probably about six, seven months after that.
1: Right on. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Reese?
2: Well, let me tell you about the first 40K tournament I ever went to, because that's a much more interesting story. <laughs> okay. So my first 40K tournament ever, I was in high school. <clears throat> so it was fourth edition at the, no, Yeah. No, it was, second, it was still second edition. Got to try to make myself younger, if only. <laughs> um, so it's second edition. I go to my first tournament, and I, I'd been beating all my buddies, and I was like, man, I'm really good at this game. Hoo hoo! Go to the tournament. I have my themed Dark Angels army. Looks just like out of the, the inside of the book, right? Devastator Squad. Every guy's got a different heavy weapon because that's sick. <laughs> uh, captain on foot with a power sword. Super dope. So Bill, just like the box. Just dude. It was the first Rista Coaster that ever happened. My <laughs> first my first game I played against this guy that rocks up to the table with space wolves and his whole army is essentially one unit of uh Wolfguard Terminators. Every guy has a cyclone missile launcher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Wow, that's weird. I never read about that in any of the stories. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, well it's pretty good. I was like, I'm pretty good. Watch out. <laughs> so the guy goes first. And he's like, "I'm going to shoot every single missile in my cyclone missile launchers at you." And he's like, "For each missile I shoot, the radius of the blast increases by one inch." I was like, "Cool." He's like, "Yeah, it's like twelve missiles, so it's a two foot diameter explosion." I was like,
0: that, "That that's second edition, isn't it?" Yeah. It
4: was,
2: I was like, "What is happening right now?" And he's like, "So I shoot the whole table with a crack missile, and half your army dies." And I was, I like, til- I went on tilt so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. so upset. And well, that was my first introduction to competitive 40k at 14. You could years do old. that
0: with vortex missiles back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have been worse. Wow! Oh my gosh.
3: <laughs> yeah, for for those of you who may like not have liked certain parts of like seventh or eighth edition, second was worse. It was way way worse.
2: It was insane. But uh, Pablo, yeah. to just to to put a pin in that one because it's really funny and you'll get this. So, of course, I was, like, super salty and pissed, and I still won the game.
4: No, that poor <laughs> <laughs> guy.
1: <laughs> that was – I would like to meet this gentleman. If you are listening to this, good <laughs> sir, and you remember playing a young Reese, 14, and, and you remember his, his poorly painted Dark Angels, they're still sitting in the shop.
2: They're chilling. not poorly painted. That's the best you can do with <laughs> testers paint in a size, you know, 50 uh, brush from <laughs>
4: Walmart. <laughs>
1: Listen, I painted at a fourteen-year-old level now, and let me tell you, they're they are not they're eyesores. But I digress. Um, if you were... the, go ahead,
2: the the first actual tournament that blew me away was Adepticon. Though the first time I went, because I'd been the the birth of the internet, forty k community, which has been such a big part of everything. I was reading about like the Adepticon, and back then it was the Gladiator tournament, which was the big deal, which is basically like playing Apocalypse kind of it was anything goes you could take a titan anything and it was like don't cry play your best and at that age i that appealed to me very much and uh i remember reading about it and i finally saved up the money to go and i my it blew my hair back i have never it was crazy it was such a cool big deal and uh it, it that was one of the core experiences that inspired uh me to try and actually go out and do stuff like that on my own Okay, so,
1: so I want to get Sean's first tournament first, and then I want to circle back to that because you bringing up a point, a great transition into the Ard Boys. Um, so, Sean, uh, tell me about your first uh, large tournament GT experience.
3: Uh, the first one I ever went to was actually uh, T-Shift, which is still running, uh, up in Seattle, the Seattle Heart of Fire tournament. Um I had a number of buddies who were kind of around the Northwest area and I had been talking to them for a bit and asking like, you know, what kind of big tournaments were there around here? Cause there weren't that many big tournaments back in those days. Um, you know, we're, we're talking like there would be one to three GTs in a given region in a year, um, which was pretty common. And so it was kind of like, it was that or nothing, um, And I traveled up to Seattle, it was my first big, like, trip for something like that, uh, and kind of like with Paul, they actually held it in a big old, like, empty aircraft warehouse, um, just sort of, you know, a thousand feet in any given direction, uh, and we had 35 tables set up in one corner of this thing, um, but it was, it was a pretty fun event, there was definitely some good experiences and bad experiences there, but I, I had enough fun, met enough people there that it, it did convince me to keep coming back. Right on.
1: Do you remember how many people it was?
3: I think it was about 70-ish people. Wow. Um, pretty good. Yeah, it was it was a decent size. This was back during sort of like early-ish 5th edition, so the competitive scene and the game as a whole was kind of on the upswing at that point.
1: Okay, so uh, Reese, you talk about this. You talk actually talk my ear off about this all the time, um, and I think Paul can definitely shed some light on it. So the Ard Boys and the the kind of uh, the Adepticon Gladiator Tournament kind of evolved into GW's Ard Boys Tournament, as I understand it. Um, when things were a lot more competitive, and it was it was kind of like a anything goes, be as competitive as you can, kind of style events, and um, you're on record as saying that that's kind of what shaped competitive 40k. So do you want to shed some light on that?
2: Yeah, for sure. So you came into it Pablo at a time when the competitive scene it was really starting to be aware of what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was like there's some people that enjoy playing the game this way and that's totally fine and this is like now let's that we've accepted that fact. Let's run with it and make it as good as it can be. But there was this like internal like civil war in the tabletop gaming community that went on for years and years and years about what is quote-unquote the correct way to play the game, right? There was people that were like me when I first started that were basically role-playing with miniatures and trying to like play out the fluff of the game, which is totally viable and super fun. And then there was people that just, for whatever reason, due to their personality, um, want to play the game with the, uh, the purpose being to try to defeat your opponent. And there was this big, huge battle forever between fluff and whack and all this things that are just pejorative and and stupid and when the early gts that that games workshop put on that defined it it was very much oriented more towards the kind of like role-playing aspect where yeah we're here to win but it's also like silly and fun and why are we taking this at all seriously. Well,
0: you could get a free game out of your paint score though. So I mean like yeah. your your yeah. theme yeah. and your paint was essentially like playing almost two games more than someone who didn't do that. It was part Whoa. of the scoring. Oh my yeah. gosh.
2: And but and and that's fine if that's what you want, but a lot of people didn't want it. Right. And so a Hard Boys came or Ard Boys came out, which is the worst name imaginable in American mm-hmm. culture for a tournament. <laughs> like, who, let's go find out who the hardest boy is here, guys. Like, I don't yeah. want to know.
4: I don't want to know tell who you, the I tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and in, obviously in UK culture, it's a different context, but um, that was the first time GW officially acknowledged that, yes, this is a viable and acceptable way to play the game. And it went page three the other direction of like, play like you got a pair, which is a stupid slogan, but... They were like, you don't have to paint your models. You don't have to have a, a, a LARPing story about Sergeant Bob, who is based off your grandpa who fought in Nam. Like, they're like, bring the, the best stuff you got, and whoever wins, wins, and that's it. Like, no crying. And that was the first time that, that the community was like, yeah, Games Workshop is acknowledging that this is a viable way to do things. And that, that was when it was like a cultural shift. Because people either hated it viscerally, or they embraced it. I always
3: felt, because I did go to Ard Boys a couple of years and didn't do particularly well at the, at the time because I was still fairly new to things, but I always felt like Ard Boys was kind of GW's way of containing that kind of stuff. Like, they didn't want that spilling over into any their, of their, their tournaments, and they didn't... I, I kind of felt like they didn't think it was a good part of the game, but it was still something they had to cater to because it was something the players wanted. So they're kind of like, "Okay, you guys can all go over here and play in this thing so we can keep you away from the real players."
2: Yeah, but the I, I get what you're saying, but also like the prize support was ludicrous. It was unheard oh, it was. of. Yeah, At it was time, it was
3: insane. Uh they they, they the literally gave
0: away a, it was a full 2000 point army of whatever you wanted you could yeah yeah and seriously Frank, pick frankie, and I,
2: you frankie and i both won it and it was like you got a box with an entire army like mm-hmm. frankie got sisters of battle i got um, uh, dark eldar which at the time were like two <laughs> of the most expensive armies and it was just like yeah. this is unbelievable and it that was when some legends were born in the community like nick rose like mm-hmm. everyone, well, anybody that was back in that time knows what leaf blower is. People, some younger people know what that is. That was the first net list. That was the first time somebody created a list that was so powerful that it dominated. And then all of a sudden, people started playing that list. And then it was like, oh man, we're in a whole different world now.
3: Well. And the other thing that happened in that era, which is this is, like, fairly early to sort of, like, mid-5th edition, um, that is when the internet was becoming popular and when many of these forums and blogs and other sites were really starting to take off. Prior to that, there wasn't a coherent, like, worldwide or even nationwide 40K community because there wasn't just there was the communication technology to enable it. Um, if someone won a tournament on the East Coast and you were on the West Coast, you'd never know. You'd have no idea what they played unless maybe it got featured in White Dwarf, but even then it would probably just be like a picture of the army in a quick interview. You wouldn't really know how the army worked or what he played or anything like that.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, Sean. And it's funny because back then, and Paul, I know you know what I'm talking about, uh, Daka Daka was like the heart of competitive communication. And I remember in The White Dwarf when they described it as the shark tank of the 40K community. <laughs> and I don't mean shark tank like where you go to get money for your business. I mean like an actual shark tank where things are being eaten alive.
3: Oh, and this is when Bellwoss Souls was also a uh, a big center pole for the not yet,
2: community. Not yet. Not yet, actually. Mm. I remember really? discovering... No, because DACA was way before Bowls. DACA was owned by the people that started Adepticon. Yeah, sure.
3: But, like, if if we're talking, like, 5th edition, that is when Bowls really blew up. Well, well, uh, yeah, that's,
2: that's a good point. So
1: let's talk about that. So so we, we have these art boys, we're transitioning, and then 5th edition, which is—I I caught the tail end of 5th edition— but mm-hmm. but fifth edition is oftentimes what I hear people talk about the glory days people who played 40k back then was the glory days of, of tournaments and even I who didn't play in tournaments know a little bit about the lists in fifth edition right there there was like yeah. the longfangs space wolves thing there was the the uh, Reese ran the silly because Eldar were bad back then but Reese managed oh, yeah. to do well with Eldar uh, in fifth edition um, and so. Uh, tilly he ran into my Grey Knights. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was about we'll, to say, until I we'll, played we'll talk, <laughs> we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk Grey Knights in a second. Um, <laughs> but uh, would you guys mind telling me a little bit about 5th edition and uh, the tournaments then? And I'd love to hear about this Reese and Paul rivalry. Uh, but as I understand it, this is really when the tournament scene started getting into a bit of a golden age um, until the, the dark days of 6th and 7th, which you know we'll have to talk about.
3: Um, well, I would say a big part of it was fifth is when GW started to invest into tournaments mm. um, because, you know, they'd already start been doing Ard boys already, but they started to uh, support some of the non-GW tournaments somewhat more. Um, it, it certainly isn't like it is now where they're like actually a fixture at that, but um, they, they had started to kind of put some of the support structures in place for like... They're becoming actual, like, tournament circuits like the ITC is now, Um, and because 5th was a more, um, at least from a game design perspective, a a more well-rounded and sort of well-written edition, which I know a lot of people are going to be really angry about uh, because for many people 5th was, like, the height of unbalanced everything— um but i i think the act 5th was one of the better designed editions in a lot of ways um so this kind of pushed people into this like well okay you can play the game competitively um you know we're not we're not just playing tic tac toe anymore this is a real game now
2: yeah i 100% agree and um 5th edition was the it was when the tournament scene went from essentially non-existent mm-hmm. it was like there was only uh, GW GTs, which at the time they were very few. Well, two, uh, there was two or were three local a year the max. Yeah,
0: between. Uh, so there's two or three max tournaments right. a year.
2: There was the one we, in two, LA. Two or Baltimore. imagine
0: that two or three when we now have two or three per weekend, and then it was two or three per year. Jesus, yeah.
2: No, I mean, I we that. had we had seven GT plus level events last weekend. It's insane how far it's come. But back then, there was the one at the uh, uh, L.A. uh, Games Day, Baltimore. um, Mm -hmm. Very few of them. And it was just like it was a different world. But then in fifth edition, the game was extremely fun. Paul and I uh, developed a rival, a friendly rivalry back then. But (laughs) uh, Alessio Cavatori, love him or hate him, he -hmm. was the architect of fifth edition. And the game was tight. And it played super fast. Uh, you, could get, uh, you could do 1,500 points in 90 minutes. You could do 2,000 points in two hours. Uh, it was a, a totally different experience. Lower model count. Uh, only one four-sword chart. Everybody got the same stuff. The downside was that a lot of armies were non-viable, but the upside was that the, the armies that were viable until we got into the uh, Grey Knight era, uh, everything was pretty balanced. Like you could Mm -hmm. win with a wide variety of armies and all of a sudden Adepticon led the charge showing people that you could have an independent tournament scene. And then all of a sudden you started seeing GTs and stuff pop up left and right. We got Nova Open happened uh, after um, Adepticon's breakout year, the year that they really pushed forward to the forefront of the scene. And then right after that was the BAO with us on the West Coast. And then all of a sudden it was like the floodgates broke. And we started seeing events popping up left and right, like T Shift, uh, which Sean talks about. Mm-hmm. Zen was the guy who started that. Our buddy, yeah, um, it started all of a sudden. It was like wildfire. They started popping up everywhere.
0: Yeah, we're talking about ten years ago at this point. So it's, it's yeah. I mean, it, it may be like in our recent memories because we, you know that's like when we started to communicate, communicating about things on the internet. But this was a decade ago. Wow.
3: Yeah, it, another really important thing that I think that made 5th edition the time when the game kind of exploded was GW went back and updated a lot of books that had either gotten sort of minimal attention before or hadn't seen a book in, you know, 10 years or, or longer. Um, this is when all the new Dark ar- uh, Angels, orcs, 20 years
2: for some of them. I don't think it ever was dark quite Elder, hit right? 20. Dark Elder, it went tw- was close. Elder went 20 years.
3: Yeah, it was a really long time. They hadn't had a real book since uh, the third. Third, early third edition. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they they busted out into the scene with a brand new codex, beautiful models, and they went from being a complete joke to a real army. Ditto Grey Knights and Necrons and a bunch of other stuff um so like gw really reinvested in the game in this era and it paid off for them they sold a lot of models they got a lot of attention um this is also sort of in the era that they've done their cross-media promotion so things like the original dawn of war game and stuff like this are coming out and people who've never heard of the game before are starting to get interested in their property
1: yeah i think space brain the xbox game came out around that same time as well
3: this was a little bit before that yeah but we're da- yeah it's like late fifth edition i think was when space marine came out no, nice. dawn,
2: dawn of War came out yeah it was in late fourth edition actually because i remember because yeah that'd it be came right out, it came out right when i graduated from college and i was like oh my i was like mind blown right and yeah. that game brought so many people into the hobby it was crazy mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And back yeah. then was when RTSs were like were huge, huge. right? Oh yeah. yeah. It was
3: a it was a legit competitor to Starcraft. Like it was never going to be bigger than Starcraft, but like it right. was an actual game that a lot of people played who knew nothing about 40K or GW.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um so uh, we're going to transition into uh Grey Knights here and kind of like it, mm. I I've heard lo- I've heard a lot of people say that this is what kind of killed 5th edition and ultimately,
4: ultimately
1: led to <laughs> <laughs> It's <ultimately> absolutely. <laughs>
2: So, Necron, Cronair was the first time that people, like, if you ever want to watch a funny video, go back and search Milk Challenge uh, Frontline Gaming, and you will see one of the funniest slash just most disgusting videos we've ever made. But that was, we were trying to communicate to people what it felt like to play Cron Air because there was nothing like it at the time.
1: Okay. So, Paul, you played a lot of Grey Knights.
0: Correct. Uh, I di- okay. The reason I played Grey Knights, and I don't mind admitting <laughs> this, is that, uh, when Blood Angels came out and that's, they got a good book, they got a great book in that edition, and then the immediate book right after that was Grey Knights, and Grey Knights did every single thing
3: better than Blood Angels.
2: I'm pretty sure,
3: Dar- wasn't Dark Eldar between the two
2: of them? No, it was it was Necron's, Blood Angels, Grey Knights. Or it might have uh. been Blood Angels, Necron's, Grey Knights, but it was that order. Yeah, I was going to say, Some, I thought they like were
3: that. on a one Imperial, one Xeno schedule at that point. Yeah. But yeah, it was very close together, yeah. You know,
0: Grey Knight Storm Ravens were better than Blood Angel Storm Ravens. Grey Knight Assault was better than Blood Angel Assault. I mean, it was like, I'm I'm a huge Blood Angels fan. I love them. That's what I played. That was my first grand tournament I ever won was with Blood Angels. I've been playing Blood Angels since second edition, the tail end of second edition. Love them. Love the storyline. Love everything about them. But Grey Knights in that edition just did everything a little bit better. So you're basically dumb not to play them if you're trying to win a tournament.
3: Well, okay, I'm going to say something that is going to be super controversial here. I don't think Grey Knights were anywhere near as good as everyone assumed back in the day. You
2: are high, sir! <laughs>
3: okay, so, so Reese, here's the thing. Uh, I was th- at this point, I was well and deep into the community uh, and the competitive scene, and I was writing articles for blogs and whatnot. Uh, and Kirby, who ran 3++ plus the new back... Uh, Kirby's
2: um, a friend of mine.
3: Yeah. Um, he and I did a little bit of a dive on Grey Knights, because uh, he played Grey Knights and had before that and kind of like went on in them and we we were kind of curious like how good they actually were uh we pulled up all the tournament results we could find and ran the numbers on the number of gray knight players versus how many tournaments they were winning they were not winning significantly more tournaments than you would ex- expect given the number of players so, now a third of all people were playing gray knights at some no, of these tournaments uh, what, but... let, me, let me correct
2: you let me professor sean let me correct you really quickly At the height of the stupidity, 50% of Adepticon was Grey Knights. Hmm. Yeah, sure. One in
4: two
3: people
2: was playing the army. That's unheard of.
3: At a single event, yes.
2: The biggest Um, event in the competitive community at the time. Yeah, I know.
3: I'm... Right, and I'm right. not saying they weren't good and they didn't win tournaments, but if 50% of all people play an army, it's going to win a lot.
0: L- let's also talk about the frequency in which Codex were released back then. So, Reese, and I, Reese, that was the second year you and I played. When I was yeah, it was. The second they, year
2: you beat me in Adepticon Finals again. <laughs> the, the year before that,
0: I was playing Blood Angels. So that was the, that was the time in which between Codex were released back then. Yep.
2: <laughs> yeah, you got two or three a year, max. Like, imagine that as a person no, now. No,
3: it was more than that. No, That's... it was
2: two to three per year. No,
3: it was at least three or four.
2: No, you got two to three 40K codexes a year, and you got one to two fantasy army books a year.
1: All right, max all right. That's it. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave that to the listeners who have Google ready and are already <laughs> sniper- Google searching all of these to tell which one of you are incorrect or correct. Facts. But but, but <laughs> I want to focus, I want to focus on something else that you guys brought up and alluded to um, that I, I think is important to look at when you're looking at history subjectively and how it, how it applies to today. And that's perception, right? So whether gray Knights or night were OP, were not OP overplayed, whatever, it doesn't matter because the perception back then, and definitely the perception that I hear from people who played back then was that Grey Knights were very strong. And why that's important is because that same perception is something that people do now about, it. like, Inari, uh, you know, Tau. Tau are, unfortunately, big victims of that perception because they're, they're perceived as this unfun tournament army that, that everyone loves to hate. Um, and that perception does affect the way people view tournaments negatively. And so I think... I'm not saying that wasn't causation for why the tournaments kind of um why kind of like this negative push towards tournaments was uh pushed, but it was definitely something that I noticed coming into 40k, right? So, so this is when I started playing 40k was 5th edition, 5th edition just happened, or uh, um, it just ended, 6th edition was around the corner, and everyone I talked to was like, don't, whatever you do, don't play Grey Knights, like watch out for those Grey Knight players, they're, <laughs> they're, uh, you know, they're tryhards. They're competitive. Like, oh, you want to play Space Marines? Like, that's cool. Bring whatever you want, but you're gonna lose to Grey Knights. Like, you know, so just try and have fun. Run Terminators. And so I listened to all these, and so I felt myself kind of torn because, and I was in a community um, where half of the people were telling me like, oh, it's okay. Run whatever you want. Have a good time. Don't try not. Don't try to run the best lists. But on the other half, it was like, oh, if you want to win, you have to run Grey Knights. And so I was kind of torn between this, and then sixth edition happened. Everyone, you know, everyone was like, "Whoa, hold your horses! We don't know what's good or not now because because we have this brand new edition." Um, and so th- that's kind of how I was born um, into competitive 40k. Not
0: how I was born. That's not that's a very gruesome story. <laughs> right here, right here. But, <laughs> um, I was drugged into this world by a tyrannid hive mother.
2: <laughs> by a, a great wife mid- a great, a great night, midwife. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful yeah.
1: battle sister to you all. Uh, anyways, um, so uh, when sixth edition came around, I- I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell you guys a little bit about how I perceived sixth edition as a brand new player, and then you you are all more than welcome to share your experiences or correct me. Um, but the fly rule had just been changed, um, from fifth to sixth edition, and so there was a lot of uh, kind of weird new rules coming out that that were kind of uh, a lot of people didn't really grasp around. So there was already a negative connotation in my community towards GW and towards kind of making the game a little more complicated. There were also allies that just came in. So there was, you know, these weird combinations of uh, Riptide, Space Marine character and Eldar character like units, right? So it was really strange. But when, when I came in, it was kind of like a brewer's paradise. It was, you know, there wasn't like a list that I had to beat or had to run. It was kind of like, a, you know, here's a couple ideas that you can use, Pablo, and then um, kind of create what you want. And then also I had access to all these factions. So, uh, and that comes off of my list building today is I, I like to take the best pieces from different factions and use them to kind of create this unique, you know, mix of, of combinations that I like. Um, it might not be the most competitive, but that's just how I learned to list build in 6th edition. Uh, and, and generally, I think that was negative. Uh, and I think GW did notice that. But also at the same time, um, there were a lot of people who who moved away from the game, right? War Machine and Hordes was uh, at this point kicking off. Uh, and so a lot of people were moving to War Machine and Hordes. Uh, there was less, there's no more GW tournaments, no more GW support for tournaments. Uh, and we were left with a lot of lacking tournament data and a lot of, lack of lacking tournament coverage that I felt very frustrating when I started playing because I came from a magic The gathering background where if you didn't submit your deck list for the top eight, you were like a moron. Like, what are you doing? Why aren't you submitting your deck list in this format to everyone? Why aren't you breaking down stats numbers from the last 20 magic GTs to create your perfectly crafted deck list? Right. So that was my mentality. And 40k had none of that. It was, it was almost impossible to stats, break down a spreadsheet and tell everyone what the absolute best units were, um, at least from my perspective. So, uh, sixth edition was tumultuous, um, in my, in my experience. Um, what about, sixth what about you guys? It was
0: basically the, the, the birth of my show. I mean, it forged narrative was, was, I mean, we, we use that term slightly ironically, you know, because we build competitive lists and talk about this, but that was in the, in the Taldar time period mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. if you weren't playing Tau and Eldar, You weren't going to win, and so we, you know, we basically started talking about. I'm being
2: triggered right now, Paul. Very hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How how to beat that stuff? You know, like how how do you how do you compete? How do you do something other than that? You know, and that and that's that's what got us brewing in the in the first place. Beautiful.
3: Yeah. Sixth. Oh, go ahead, Reese.
2: Oh no, it's okay, Sean. I didn't mean to cut you off, buddy. Go for it. Well, I was
3: just I was just gonna say six had a couple things that sort of like were very marketed. changes from the previous editions. Uh the first of all is that it was like a totally new edition. 3rd, 4th and 5th all basically ran off the same skeleton uh and the, and you know we, three editions there was like 20 odd years. That's so a the good game point.
0: you you were talking yeah. about like basically just a change in the assault rules over the course of those and a couple of terrain tweaks here and there but basically
3: the same bones. Yeah. They were pretty, you could use a third edition codex in a fifth edition rulebook. In fact, some armies had to. Uh, and yeah, it was, they it was did. still, it, yeah, it yeah. was still functional. It might not so have been <laughs> great, but you could. Um, whereas sixth edition rewrote the game's rule structure significantly, such that the old books, in many cases, did not work anymore and needed errata to even be functional um and as uh, was already mentioned like allies were a new thing there were armies which were allowed very specific allies before that like an, a sisters of battle army could take a small detachment of imperial guard um and a, a handful of other things like that but 6th edition just said all right everyone can put their foot in these, this pool and try and just bring whatever they want to try and run alongside each other. And that was a huge, earth-taking change for the game as a whole, and one that I think don't think GW really understood the impact of until it had happened. Um, but this was also kind of contra-wise when GW started stepping away from the game, and especially from tournaments. Um, I think that their... Experience with Fifth Edition had kind of negatively impacted the way that a lot of the the owners and operators at GW had seen things, and they wanted to distance themselves from tournaments because that's not how they wanted the game to be played at that time. Um, so you saw the collapse of Ard Boys; it just it stopped existing, um, and they replaced it with the the Throne of Blood tournament, which w- no one liked. It was bad, and no one enjoyed it. Basically, are, are you talking about the Throne um, of Skulls? Throne of Skulls. Sorry, yes. Um, well, I, have it was, a, I have a counter
2: it, to that, but uh, continue on.
3: Uh, uh, well, I was just—it's—it was a mess of rules. Like they—they they tried to make it a like narrative-heavy event, but they did it in possibly the worst way i've ever seen um which is to say you didn't matter how well you did at the tournament it mattered how well you did to other people in your faction so if everyone in your faction went zero and five and you went one and four you won the tournament um so, it, anyways, it was, it was a complete mess, and it was part of this process of GW stepping away from the competitive scene because they, they didn't like where it was going, I think, and didn't want to be involved in that, which created a big vacuum for a lot of folks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, we're talking about two different events, because the Throne of Skulls was one of the most competitive events they ever put on, and that was in 5th, hmm. and that was run by Ed Spadegu, who's a cool, cool dude. And he spearheaded the whole. Uh, well, I shouldn't say he spearheaded, but he he was the the torchbearer for a period of time, of GW reaching out to tournaments and trying to help, foster them, get them going, give them support. And uh, there's a couple of toxic people in the community that took advantage of it, and that's why it got shut down. But uh, Ed ran the Throne of Schools, which was an invitation only, like you got to get the golden ticket to go to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Uh, Paul, you have to remember this too. Yeah. And it was in Vegas. Yeah. And it was awesome, right? Like it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Uh, and you you, you had an opportunity to win the whole event and win best in faction, which is where that whole thing comes from. It comes from GW. And Frankie and I like fought all year to get our, our golden ticket to go to the event. And when, we fin- when I finally won mine at the – SoCal Smackdown. I don't. Who knows how many years ago? I was so excited, and it was so much fun. And the whole event was catered, and that was what planted the seed for the LVO, and that was what planted the seed for scoring best in faction in the ITC. So, we're talking about a different event. I think you're talking about the one that was at uh, GWHQ.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the event now. But yes, it was it was run over at GWHQ, and was a a very different beast from what you're talking about there.
2: Yeah. So, uh, my apologies. I didn't mean to to countermand. No, no. Place, that's but... your.
3: The, I was. I'm. I i, I do not remember what the name event is. I'm. Just, I'm totally spacing on it at this point. But yeah, it's. Well, the, it was. The a
0: tournaments, especially run by. I mean, I, I say this on my, uh, my, my opinion a lot is that people running the tournaments have the kind of the the license to insert their own agenda into mm-hmm. how they want their tournament <laughs> to run, and and you can see over the life of the 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 grand tournaments before, you know, they became the independent track like it is now, uh, how they're even, even how they're running in Nottingham today or whatever, they're very indicative of yeah. how they want the, like how you score is going to determine what kind of list people bring and what the overall outcome of the tournament is. And I think that anybody putting on the risk of doing that has the ability to determine whatever they want.
2: Yeah. yeah sure. fun, fun fact, Paul, the person that up, up until recently, the people running the events at GWHQ, because I know like you and I know, and Sean, you know this too, mm-hmm. is that people would always point at the way they did things at GWHQ and go like, this is what GW wants you to do at a tournament. That's absolutely not the case. Up yeah. until <laughs> relatively recently, like you, Paul, like you said, the person that was, that was their job, that, like at the uh, running events at GWHQ had free agency. So in trying to look at that and like divine the runes or read the tea leaves as to what GW wanted or didn't want <laughs> from competitive yeah. play was it was a non-starter. It was well, whatever that person in that position at that time thought was the best thing to do for their local customers. That was it.
3: Yeah, it was not like an overarching mandate of the one true and proper way to play game the game.
2: Exactly. And that's yeah, why I things like the late. ITC what were given birth is because people wanted so badly to have some guidelines.
4: Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, so Paul, I'm so glad you brought this up uh, because there was a big push towards um, making a, a universal rule set. Uh, and, and the big problem with GW stepping back uh, was there were, as you said, a lot of people, a lot of community leaders running their tournaments their own way, the way they saw bet the way they saw it best and th- there's nothing wrong with that because that also helped foster a cadre of 40k competitors who still play the tournaments to this day, right? So we needed those independent uh, community leaders to step up and make these big events. Um, but at the same time, it was it, it did divide the community.
3: Go ahead. Oh, I was I was just gonna step in and say this is not unusual. We we haven't really talked about it up until this point, but. Up until the middle of 6th edition, there is no standardization in tournaments or missions or formats at all. Every single tournament you go to is probably going to use its own set of unique missions, it is going to have its own set of FAQs for how they have ruled the game, it is going to have its own set of list building guidelines, it is going to have every single thing be 100% unique to it and not shared with any other tournament you go to, even other tournaments in the same area. Um, that's just yeah. how tournaments were. It was completely fragmented anywhere you went because there was no I- interconnection between tournaments. Like In if certain you, cases,
0: you had to learn yeah. a different language if you were going to go. Like, you, yeah. you needed to know you, to, who to contact to figure out what you know, what rules they were playing by before you traveled Mm -hmm. to that tournament.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and that was a a huge problem in the area because you would have people who would bring just a list that was completely illegal because it's like, oh, we don't use that FAQ. Um, And it was based
2: 100% on local ideas, like the groupthink of that specific area. Yeah. to how the game should be played to tie into what I was talking about earlier, there Mm -hmm. was this belief that there was a right and a wrong way to play the game. And it was based entirely on the people like the little, you know, echo chamber that you were in.
3: Yeah. it was, and I would unfortunately say that, although it declines some by the time you get to the sixth edition area there is still a very very antagonistic relationship between the competitive community such as it exists at this point and basically everyone else um, where you you have a lot of uh, sites calling out competitive players for you know quote ruining the game um, yeah. at the same time you have the competitive community being very dismissive of you know fluff bunnies who don't even know their own rules and this sort of thing Um, it is still a very negative and very toxic situation for a lot of people
2: yeah it was and it was so dumb because everyone's free to play the game the way that this brings them enjoyment like that's that's why we're doing this and you you hit the nail on the head it was toxic and it was divisive when there was just no reason for it to be
1: Mm -hmm. yeah uh so i'm I'm gonna give a, a brief uh analogy here in our first jeff story um, and also at the same time, pander to my boss for a raise um, because this is right, <laughs> when ah! playing, uh, right when I started playing. Right uh, when I started playing forty k, my first tournament was actually the Las Vegas Open. Um, I immediately jumped in two feet first, didn't know what I was doing. Ran a Centurion Star, um, which back then was like one of the big things that you could run. And uh, uh, I remember leading up and preparing to the Las Vegas Open, having to. Uh, figure out what lists were good, what, what kind of meta I was going to see. Um, and it was super difficult. Um, you know, it was like uh, a tournament that I forgot what it was called. Um, it was like the, I don't want to say the throne of schools. I'm just going to, there was a tournament that I, it was on the East coast that I I remembered and I was like, Oh, cool. I want to hear about this tournament. Where do I find out? And they're like, Oh, okay. You have to, you have to message these guys. Like those are the guys. And I messaged them, and they were like, "Oh, we we ran like nonsense, like you know." Mm-hmm. They they basically they weren't competitive guys, and I could tell just by looking at their list, like they were just running whatever whatever they wanted. Um, and so I didn't know how to prepare for the LVO, and so I went my very first tournament, a very first round. I played JP Moette, um, oh, who, yeah. who was an amazing <laughs> player back then. He and still is, and he won best Eldar and best Chaos demons in the ITC that year. So. Mm-hmm. Um, which is crazy. Uh it, so I actually got my shit kicked in by Flyers Eldar uh Scar Fire Sears on bikes and um uh Lords of Change or I guess Fate Weaver um and a Screamer Star. That was oh, that, that was the list.
2: That old demon Eldar Tyranid combo. That one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Ah! Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Really cool. Haven't we all been there? Yeah, and right. I I didn't I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know that this was something that you could do. The only the only competitive trick that i knew of was the centurion star and that was because i read an article from um uh aaron albert who who had just done well with a centurion star and so uh, my friends were like hey you should read this article i did it was centurion star i was like oh cool i've got centurions and drago that's what i'll run all right so hopefully roll invisibility and hope for the best um i did absolutely horrible that event um but i learned a valuable lesson and that was that if i wanted to uh if i wanted to be successful at competitive 40k there's a goal i'm still trying to figure out by the way i'm not very good but if i wanted to if i wanted to be a tournament player and someone who was good at 40k i needed to uh take it into my own hands i mean i think a lot of people didn't do that right because that's a that's a level of commitment that that goes above and beyond um what you should have to do to get into a game competitively right it's like i i learned to talk to Reese and frankie personally Right, when they when they moved down to San Diego, I visited them every day, I picked their brains, you know, I, I watched all their battle reports, even though I didn't I didn't like that, that awful short form format, hated it. Hopefully what? more Frankie
0: than Reese. I don't know, I mean like just my experience. <laughs> I'm just saying
1: <laughs> Um But but I, I had to really engage myself to you know, latch on to two people who played a lot of tournaments and kind of bug borderline bug them just to learn about uh, playing in 40k tournaments um, whereas now you, you don't have to do that there's there's a, a buffet of 40k competitive podcasts now that you can listen yeah. to there's all sorts of great articles being written there's you know facebook pages forums etc cetera, etc cetera, lists versus stats analysis it's crazy <laughs> hold on
3: yeah, this is in in this part portion of like mid to early six. This is when uh, some of the big blogs and forums have taken off relatively well. Most of the forums are kind of on the downswing at this point. Uh, yeah, Warseer has become a joke. Daca Daca is, is
2: Warseer even still around?
1: Uh, I'm on No it's... and Chain Sword guys.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Booster but
2: Chainsword was always like the fluff place, though.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh. But um, yeah. Daka Daka is now kind of like the place to go if you want to learn how to play the rules wrong. Um, <laughs> because I I remember on a fairly regular basis the the various competitive blogs that I was a part of and contributed to and read um, would link these uh, daca daca threads where people would argue just absolutely ludicrous rules interpretations. Like the, the Necron Doom Scythe had a, get, had a gun that like shot a laser beam It could hit a couple models, but there was an argument for how you could shoot this beam and hit every single model in like nine different squads at once. Uh, and it caused, you know, a strength 10 ignores all armor, kills models instantly hit. Yeah. Um, and there were people saying, no, this gun is intended to wipe out three squads of 30 orcs at once. Um, and, and this is the kind of nonsense that's getting posted there. But there's not a lot of good options. There are no podcasts. Um, yeah. The the blogs that are doing this are all very kind of like amateur level, just like some guys playing the game and talking about the things they see. There's not a lot of collected information and certainly no coherent meta information.
1: Yeah. Um so so uh moving on past from the Las Vegas Open um the next big tournament after the Las Vegas Open that I was prepared for was actually the Broadside Bash. Uh, and I like to call this like the the death of narrative PD pop, right? Like this is this is when I absolutely realized that I really wanted to play competitively um and there the community was lacking in competitive tournaments, right? And so it was Broadside Bash it was the uh gentlemen's tournament the pre-tournament tournament that you had to be invited to that you had to dress nicely it was all narrative focused oh i like that um and this was the, my very round one very first game it was team tournaments it was um and i got paired up against jeff robinson uh round <laughs> one so i brought i brought the a fluffy ultramarines list i remember uh, that well year. painted oh it was so 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 great right so i'm dressed up in a suit super nice i got uh, a stopwatch chain got my sunglasses that I wore indoors because I was too cool, and um, Jeff Freaky, uh, Freaky—that's uh, Reese and Frankie's couple name, by the way. Freaky, uh, Freaky. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Reese and Frankie, Jeff like Reese and Frankie <laughs> walked in, uh, and they weren't wearing—they were wearing FLG shirts. Uh, Jeff was wearing that gray FLG sweater <laughs> <laughs> with with the beanie on, big guy, and gym, I, I, Jim
2: shorts. Jim <laughs>
1: Shorts and I've I've seen him and I've seen him you know play Starcraft professionally. I was immediately like, oh my god, like this is this is in control. Like I'm I hope I get to play him because he plays Tyranids and I play Ultramarines. And I was big on like Calgar versus the Swarm Lord, like, you know, narrative. Uh, I had like my tenth company of scouts supporting calgar and his honor guard i was super into the fluff <laughs> so and and you those of you who knew jeff know where this this is going i got paired up against some round one very first game this is the <laughs> to date, the second tournament or second event i've been to for, for tournament or for a uh, 40k and uh <clears throat> You know, we got paired up, and we got we talked about the missions. We did the whole pre-game thing, and I was like, "Gee, golly, Mister, uh, you're (laughs) running Swarm Lord, and I'm running Kalgar. We should meet in the middle and have an epic fight." And uh, I, I'll have you know that my metal Kalgar is two and one against the Swarm Lord. And Jeff (laughs) stops, looks at me. I'll never forget his reaction because he (laughs) he was torn between being polite and being snarky. Right, it's <laughs> and so naturally he went with both. So that's uh-huh. just what Jeff did, and so he said, "Listen here, Scout. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, I, I know this is supposed to be a, a, a fluffy campaign, but you know, I really came here just for the the big tournament tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna do my best, but let's just try and have a fun competitive game. Um, and and you know, I don't really do the fluff stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Oh, okay. Well, we're playing, we're playing for serious. I thought we were playing for fun points. Um, and then the mission w- was hilariously this uh, narrative mission where you had six goblins that deep struck in the middle of, or six mm. rots <laughs> that deep struck in the middle of the board. And then when they deep struck, they would scatter. And you had a choice between killing them or capturing them. And so all six deep struck, I went first. They all scattered towards me. I killed five so that there was only one left. And then I captured that one and Kalgar ran back with it into his little Death Star of Fury. And so on the top of, or on the bottom of uh, Jeff's turn two, he, he raises his hand. He's like, hey, T.O., can I win this? And the T.O. looks at the board and he's like, well, where are all the grots at? And I, I chimed up and I was like, well, I killed them all and I have just this one. And wh- Is there any other victory points that you can score? Like, well, what's the deal here? Because we were generally confused because it, it looked like a raw on paper that Jeff couldn't win the game because I had one grot and the other five were dead. And there was no way he was getting to my grottes and so uh, the TL was like, "Oh yeah, I guess you can't win to Jeff."
2: Yeah, and, <laughs> and that's Jeff... the way things were back then.
1: <laughs> that was yeah. that was it. That was I didn't know how to play the mission. <laughs> Jeff didn't know, so we were in this. We found ourselves in this scenario where he couldn't win. I had to hold on to this grot in a super Death Star that you could build, um, and I had to win. And so Jeff looked at me and he's like, "We're playing. I'm playing for the tie." And then just proceeded the bottom of turn six, killed Kalgar. I lost the grot, and we tied the game. And it was this epic game. Um, and I remember talking to him afterwards, and I was like, "Is this like how tournaments go?" And he's like, "No, not at all. This is, <laughs> this is just this is just how this is just par for the course. This is just how tournaments go." Um, and ever since then, it, it dawned on me that I did not want to play in narrative events at all. I never wanted <laughs> to play another custom mission again where I was paired up against a worthy opponent who who i really wanted to beat because i'll be honest I, I really wanted to beat jeff after he told me he didn't want to duel storm lord with calgar i was like
4: i, I want to beat <laughs> so you now, now it's now. Am, it is on i am more you than just a my definition player.
0: of fluff so i got to i got to try to win this <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, exactly um
1: you know I, I i tried to be i tried the fluffy thing i tried the narrative thing uh it didn't work out for me and i'm so glad that I played Jeff and we had the game we did because I, I would not be here if it wasn't for that game. I would not be so much in the competitive scene. I wouldn't have a competitive podcast. I wouldn't be working for frontline gaming. um it, You know, I don't know what I'd be doing, right? So um, I've always been a competitor at heart and uh, it was, it was a great experience for me. And I, I did really well at the broadside bash too. I went like five and one, four and two. I think I yeah. went, I actually, I think I tied a game. So I went four, one and one. Um, but I just remember having, like, four wins, and I, w- I was super excited.
2: That's a great um, story.
1: Yeah. it's yeah. so, uh, really funny. Um, so from here, uh, I like to call it – this is when I started playing and started really being into the scene. I like to call it kind of the the birth of the ITC era, right? Which I know I work for Frontline Gaming. I know that, that does sound very biased. But I, I couldn't think of another subjective way or objective way to name this era because it really was – the ITC really was uh, – crucial towards keeping competitive 40k together right and and i've heard people mm-hmm. from all different communities say this right so I, I know i'm not pandering i know it's fact um <clears throat> but uh reese why don't you tell everyone about the the birth of the itc at this point um because i think it's a really great story and i think it's something that we need to hear
2: do you think it would be better for me to go first or last because uh, i'd well, actually
1: let's 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 go ahead and, uh, let paul and sean get in some words in before before reese talks our ears off
2: I'm actually really – yeah, well, you know, I am loquacious, <laughs> and I will talk. But I'm actually really curious to hear what they say before I talk.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you want to hit it first? or? Uh,
0: sure, man. I mean, like, for me, the tournaments, you know, where we go back into the um... – I mean, let's let's go back to what we we're talking about. Like when there were, there were just one or two grand tournaments a year. I'm talking about across the whole country. There were only one or two things that could be classified as grand tournaments. And this was this was when we thought GW was involved. You know, engaged or whatever. And then we hit this like really, really dark period and where there wasn't like heck, I started I started playing magic during this period of time. <gasps> oh, no. I mean, I mean, I played Magic back in the day, but I like, I like, I would how how my uh, my hobby time and my money were spent were based on the rumors. I wanted to build army list or buy stuff or paint stuff. What to either beat what was com- what I thought what we thought were coming out, you know, what the rumors were coming out eventually three months, four months, six months from now, or uh, to to fortify what was what we knew already was good. So when we got that like like uh, depression of when we got you know when GW went into their like full lockdown no secrets no nothing no leaks no controlled leaks nothing you got no information for months i started playing magic because i could consume that content that was out there and i could uh, you know basically spend my time churning that i was I was building army list i started building magic decks you know, hmm. is, is that making sense i mean oh I mean, yeah like, well to Actually, me it is <laughs>
3: do you mind if i, I step in just for <laughs> yeah, a second here um I was, this may seem like inconceivable to a lot of people who didn't play during this era but during late fourth and early fifth gw got burned bad on rumors um entire codexes were leaked months ahead of time um and their response to this was an absolute clampdown of information. They would not release anything about a book until it came out, and they would not announce the release of books until a week or two before they they came up for availability. Um, and we're not talking like previews like they do now. We're talking White Dwarf would have a, a banner photo in it that said, Next month, Blood Angels. And that was all you got. That was everything. That was the whole thing.
2: And this was back when you only got a codex every like three to four months max.
3: Yeah. I I feel
0: like it was six, maybe even more. I mean, it was. I think it
2: it was uh, a long uh, time. Yeah.
0: it feels like forever, right? You know, especially yes. when you're used yep. to kind of like consuming yep. that content, working on stuff like what I buy, what I build towards and everything. It's like, it just disappeared, you know, and this Yeah, was, they, went, it, they went dark and silent. Yeah, completely. There was a direct reflection on the the active community too. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, kind of a pullback of almost everything. So when um, tournament started, you know, basically, I think it was started in the... Um, had to have been towards the middle of sixth. Is this, is this sound right? Middle of six
3: on, I'm not sure where you're going with Th- this, uh,
0: to win tournaments. This is to like back up when the independent circuit. Oh, started okay. To, to start. Yeah. That was on.
3: like middle to late ish. call it like middle sixth. Yeah.
0: I feel hmm. like that was when it was. And so, and so that's when there was, uh, people were hungry for that kind of stuff. And, and, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, that's when, you know, uh, you know, I guess, Reese, you guys can, you can testify to this one way or the other, but you could picked up on that and started filling that need. I mean, you guys had one of the first uh, widely accepted FAQs. We were talking about how every environment had their FAQs and every like local tri-state, tri-county area or whatever had their FAQs. You guys had one of the first uh, nationally and probably internationally accepted uh, codifications of rules and and rules clarifications that people would uh, buy into to start running tournaments, which is crazy, mm-hmm. by the way. That's
1: that's yeah, not ha- what happens with with most games, you know, at any level, right?
2: No, it's and it's not and it's not something that we ever wanted either. Like I've been super open about this throughout the years, is that the reason that the ITC is where it's at is because GW created a vacuum and they dropped the ball so hard that someone had to pick it up and we did not want to do it. Trust me. I had no desire to be (laughs) writing this FAQ and getting hate mail. I'm not in no exaggeration. I was getting hate mail on a weekly basis. And on a weekly basis, I was sitting there going, why am I doing this? I had a, really really good job in the finance industry not four years ago i could go back to that right now make way more money and not have to deal with this but i was so invested into everything at that point frankie and i both were that if 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 we didn't have frontline gaming i would have quit the game in sixth edition there's a reason why that edition lasted one year it was that bad it was a train wreck of an addition. It was the ultimate expression. Yeah. It, was like, it was a perfect storm,
0: you know, it was, uh, of things. There's a pullback of, you know, of of engagement. You couldn't get people uh, bought in. Like, we, we lived the, the fantasy. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I mentioned this before on previous podcasts and the kind of stuff. But people playing this game lived the fantasy. We spend hours thinking about the army we, we want to play. We spend hours building the army we, we, we want to play. we painting. I mean, like, there's this mm-hmm. whole, like, like, the, the the percentage of time we actually spend painting for most of us is really at the you know on the low end of everything comparatively you know when we look at all the percentage we spend building painting dreaming traveling or yeah. whatever the playing is a small a smaller percentage
3: yeah like a tenth Except of your true. time of the game at best yeah
0: so you so emotionally to invested fill all into that it. Yeah. yeah when we got we when we have nothing to fill all that time we start to realize that you know we are still playing the game I still played the game during that period of time but like all that spent I spent fantasizing uh was gone it had to be picked picked up by something else and you know uh that's what again as it got into magic you know again, I got re got into magic or whatever, but that's also in the time <laughs> when this the stuff that you guys were doing at Frontline really started, I think, to seed and take off. And people are like, oh, I can I can get into that. I could be about that. These guys care about it as much as I do. Let me start trying to build this circuit.
2: Yeah, and you it know. was largely an adversarial like endeavor at first because you're going out there and the game got so hyper complex from the beautiful simplicity of fifth edition when you could literally know every single rule in the game across all codexes. And the best players that I'm not exaggerating at all, like the best players, you could ask them almost any like stat or rule or, uh, uh, anything about from any codex. Like, what is the skull of, uh, Of Mr. Rogers from the Dark Angels Codex do, oh, it's a 12-inch deny the witch bubble, blah, 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 blah. And the top players would have an encyclopedic knowledge of the game to 6th edition where it was like utter chaos, and it was the ultimate expression of Games Workshop saying, we really truly believe that it's a a narrative experience. Because we said, anyone can ally with anyone. And they really actually believed that nobody would take some idiot combo of Eldar, Tyranids, and Demons. Mm-hmm. But that's instantaneously what happened, right? And it was like that fantasy <clears throat> got shattered
1: yep. immediately,
2: yeah. and the game descended into chaos. And out of that, there needed to be some sort of guidance or it would have gone utterly off the rails and GW was radio silent at the time. There was no FAQ and you could not play the game without an FAQ. And from that little stew we were in a position to uniquely say, um, well, here's here's an FAQ. Because the INAT FAQ was the only thing before that. The guys that created it from Adepticon, John Regal from Daka Daka, who's still like my guru for all things, like communicating about rules and stuff like that. Mm. Those guys made the INAT FAQ, and then they were getting on in life to the point where it didn't make sense for them to be as engaged or having kids and, and starting businesses. So they handed the torch to me and, uh, and some other fellows too. It wasn't just me. I don't, I don't mean to take credit. And fr- it was like this perfect storm, like Paul said, where like everything, like the, 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 the magnifying class got put on to the ITC through no really thing that we did. It was largely just circumstance. And then it was like all of a sudden we had the only way to play the game competitively and it exploded in popularity.
3: And yeah. I, I think, speaking from like the, the kind of the other end of things, um, fifth and early sixth had seen a huge surge in player base. That, like, the game was very popular up until that point, but then people started to get ver- disil- disillusioned with it very quickly as they realized what a mess sixth was. And so, like, T Shift, that had previously been topping 110 people, was down to like 50 so like there was was they were they were bleeding player base very very quickly because the game wasn't fun um it was it was such a mess of rules and like it was possible to know all the rules, but it was orders of magnitude harder than it had been before, and there was just way too much of like gotchas and special exceptions and double special exceptions and all of this sort of nonsense. Um yep. so like the people very quickly realized that although the game was still very fragmented and like yeah, every single tournament could come up with their own set of like okay, this is what we will allow and this is the faq we will use and you could do that but that was that just made things even more complicated you needed something consistent where you could you could say like i'm gonna this is what i'm gonna expect at tournaments and this is what i'm gonna expect at every tournament and people were looking for that and as we said like he was lucky enough to kind of like step into that role at the perfect time when it was needed
0: yeah and this is also i'm on fire oh, so, so let me jump in just one second it's like I'm, I'm on record of being like against rules modifications and rules changes i i feel like you should mm-hmm. just try to do the best you can with what the printed rules are like i feel that yeah. way i've always felt that way but i mean i will say that um that enough of what frontline building off of the inad of course did made sense and hard to deny a lot of the things they that that, that did that kind of, that, that helped, I think helped us get us across the threshold. Like, like, yeah, maybe you may have been hitting at Reese, but it really did help us uh, as a community uh, of competitive players get to uh, across a hump that could have gone easily a different direction to where we, we, we would not be talking about this today.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Because would the game,
3: quit. yeah, the game was unplayable, just was like literally- straight out of the rule book.
2: It was literally unplayable. Like, I'm, that's, not, and that's not hyperbole. Like, yeah. two people could not go to the table, start playing a game, come to an impasse in the rules, and there was literally no resolution mechanism, period. It yeah. was crazy. And the, the game was dying. Everyone, like, like you said earlier, Paul, like everyone started playing Magic, War Machine, and Hordes, and all the third-party uh, manufacturers and all these other games exploded in popularity at that time like it was crazy we all thought that 40k was going to die and if it wasn't for some mechanism to keep it uh, playable i think it, it it very well may have
1: what, yeah. which is just as a quick aside it's really interesting um it's funny because when eighth edition came out and 40k hit its resurgence all those games that that sprouted from you know sixth edition started failing a little bit like x-wing for example I played a lot Mm -hmm. of X Wing. X Wing definitely took a hit until second edition. There was a lot of rules bloat. There was a lot of complaints about X Wing. Um, Netrunner Netrunner basically died. War Machine and Hordes did lose attendance when they were having problems
4: prior to that. uh, (laughs)
1: Obviously, I'm not saying that 40k went in there and and took them all out. Um, But it it is an interesting thing to look at in that when, when 40k was on a downturn, you had all of these games on an upswing. And then when. Forty K was in the upswing. You had some games that went on the downswing around oh, the yeah. same time. It was it was well, just interesting.
3: During like seventh edition, I got burned out for a while, and there was about a six month period where I just didn't go to any forty K events, yep. and I was playing Malifaux yep. instead Yeah. because uh, we'll, I just I wasn't interested in what was happening in the game.
1: Yeah, and and we'll talk about that, but I I, I want to focus on one other thing before we we transition to seventh edition and kind of uh the birth of modern competitive forty K as we know it, um and that's the around this time there was also strong tribalism among large community leaders. And I think that in the long, I think it was really good for, for 40 K because there was the ITC, but there was also um, factions like the ETC, for example, there was the adaption guys. There was Nova. Everyone had kind of their own core way that they thought the game should be played. And instead of just tiny little sections of FLG or um, uh, local stores that had their own tournaments, there were these very large, communities that were sectionalized um you know and, and often uh, obviously were rivals and obviously did occasionally talk poorly about each other but more importantly these core community leaders kept the competitive scene together and you can see that even now we're now we're, we all work together right we're, which is so great uh, i'm so glad we got to this point where where a lot of those you know a lot of those large communities are now working together towards a common goal um mm-hmm. but it's important that they all stuck around because right? imagine if, um, if people in the ETC just decided, no, we're we're going to drop forty k completely, and we're ne- we're just going to do something else. Or if, imagine if the Depticon guys started doing a different thing, or or even if Reese and Frankly started doing something other than forty k. If, if Reese had quit, right, we wouldn't have these large groups that we would have now. We wouldn't have this you know large global presence as a community, not just as an ETC.
3: So, yeah, well, it's kind of a natural human response, is like when. Yes. When things get rough, like, you start pulling the ranks together. Uh, And so, like, these community figures in their areas each started to do essentially the same sort of thing that Reese and Frankie were, but within their respective spheres of influence rather than in the West Coast.
1: I I like to think of it as a game of Risk. And this is the point in the game of Risk where everyone's got a country, and you got one person held up in Australia, and everyone's just like, (laughs) you you attack. No, you attack. (laughs) 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 Anyways...
3: Yeah, I, I, I think that's actually a pretty good analogy in the sense of, like, and in the early game, it is super fragmented. Everyone's got territories everywhere, but, you know, you get to turn, like, five and six, and all those wimpy little one-offs have been conquered, and yeah. then it, then the real game starts.
1: Right. <laughs> that's great. That's just that's anyways. good analogy, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. So 7th so edition. So
1: I, I want to talk about um, the ITC Championship and the ITC Champions um, because for for me personally, that was the biggest catalyst and what really hyped me up for 7th edition. And as an aside, in my opinion, this is probably super controversial. 7th edition started off actually really well. There, there was a lot of positive things about we 7th did. edition until the Necron Codex. Which, which you know, we'll yeah. talk about.
3: Well, they they essentially hit the reset button. It's like GW yes. saw what a mess things were, and so they slammed the scram button and set it all back to zero, but they started with the same framework as sixth. Yeah. So, like, you have this thing where it's like it starts out okay. It's like, you know, spinning a top or whatever, and it's going fine for a while, but the longer you leave it, the worse it's going to get. Uh, and I think that's really the the, the track of Seventh Edition is like you can see the top start to wobble pretty quickly.
2: That's a good yeah. analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah so, so Seventh Edition um, transitioned, I, I believe, in the summer. Uh, it's all gets very hazy. Um, it was Sixth yeah, Edition and then Seventh Edition because I remember the Necron Codex coming out like right around the end of spring. I, I, I just rem- I remember that, but that was a year after Seventh Edition had been mm-hmm. around
2: and it was a it was a quantum leap forward from 6 which was a yep. train wreck and then you had the necron codex come out and that introduced formations and then yep. everything changed
3: yes formations so, were in 6th weren't they yeah they were there was the Yeah, the the cadre, wing no, no the not the tide we're talking about the firebase kadra firebase support kadra yes you go. which was a monster in 6 yes. yes. yeah uh, it was
2: one or yeah, two you're formations right. So right, they, yeah, there yeah, was yeah, like yeah, two or three of them, <laughs> the, and they well,
3: were their own thing. The uh, we had spearhead. unlimited,
2: unlimited demon summoning and full strength D, which was the most ludicrous Ugh. thing ever, and should it absolutely didn't belong in the game.
1: Yeah. So, <clears throat> so at this point, I try to remember, uh, parts of 40k, um, by the ITC champion that won that year. So, right, so the first year was Paul McKelvey, and that was the transition from fifth to sixth, and that was sixth and i i don't want to say it's heyday but in sixth and when six was was big and you know that Mm -hmm. was when paul McKelvey won the it championship that year and then the following year was alan pajama pants he won and he won right when seventh edition was transitioning right so so he won with like demon summoning there was towdar were still around uh the imperial knights had just come out that year and GW had given Mm -hmm. us the knight spearhead which was Oh, mm. oh, what was it called? The adamantine lance. That's what yep. it was. Those of you who remember, you kept your hands together. We yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It was so, ludicrous.
1: Yeah. So, so that was, but that was I also, love that, by the way, <laughs> that was also. The I didn't play we got, it,
0: but I thought it was cool.
2: <laughs> I took it to Nova that year. I, I, I gave in. I, mm. I didn't so, have an army painted, and I was like, I'll just grab these and let's go. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: and, and that year, the Necron Codex had come out, and in, in like right before the summer. And no one knew how powerful formation-based detachments were. And for those of you who don't know, a formation-based attachment is when you had a detachment. Instead of of troop choices, elites, heavy sports HQs, you built your force organization chart off formations. So for your HQ slot, quote-unquote, you had to take a formation of HQ choices, but they gave each other a benefit depending on what you got, right? So if you took, like... Three destroyer lords. They all got like reroll ones to hit or something. Something weird like that.
3: Well, and- the, the whole idea with formations is that you took a certain number of units and they would get a benefit for free as a result. Yes. And these formation be- based attachments, what you take formations of formations, so you could stack several layers of benefits on top of each other. Yeah,
1: it, w- it was all free buffs, and um, the and the, the, worst-
2: whole, the whole idea was to diversify lists by force. And to make bad units better by force, right. so it was like it was putting a bandaid on a bullet wound. Yeah, that, and, that, that is...
4: and,
1: and it kind of worked for a little bit. The biggest problem I saw was that was hold on was that it not everyone had access to formations. Not not even close. There were yeah. some like poor orcs who were still playing it with their fifth edition codex. Oh no, right? they
3: oh. they got the f- one of the first books of of seventh edition. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. that they had were, no formations yeah. in it. That's what yeah, it, was. it was. They got
1: yeah. It was it was uh, it was dark eldar who got who were still playing with their fifth edition codex. Yes, one yeah dark eldar. So there was there was a couple factions that were still playing with their fifth edition codex, mm-hmm. and and it, it was just awful. You had like orcs and I think green Knights... Um, but there were two factions yep. that had codexes, but they didn't have formation-based attachments. And then the the Necrons came out and they had a good formation-based attachment. And then from then on, every codex that came out had a usually in general had a good formation-based attachment. And mm-hmm. it was like that till the end of the edition. Um, but so we had so uh, Pajama Pants won, and then Alex Harrison won the LVO, and we should have seen the writing on the wall because of the thing he won with, which was the forty-five warp spiders. Mm-hmm. And that set the set the way for the Inari, which came out later that year, because um, that was when Gilliman was kind of teased, and um, that was when uh, we got our uh, Triumvirate series, right? And that's when the yeah. when Inari were born, was right after that LVO, right? So And that,
2: and that was when the shark was jumped fully was, and completely.
1: Yes, that was yeah. when 7th edition hit. Was, we'd, we'd just gotten Magnus. No, no, we were it was
2: in 7th. No, Gilliman cool. no, yeah. came yeah. out in 7th so, edition. So yeah, yeah. he came out in seventh.
1: October. So, so he came out, Magnus came out in, Magnus came out in, oh yeah, he
2: did because he came out. It was the end of the edition, yeah. And that was when the shark was completely jumped and we were back in the danger zone.
3: And, and they were also releasing books very quickly. Like we were seeing a book basically every month and occasionally more than one book or supplement in a month. Yeah. Um, and It it was insane.
2: It was, it was when we got Angels of Death that, it was like the train went off the tracks and we were in to la la land of like, what, what, what is this? Is this a game that we're playing or is this just ludicrous, like, yeah, insanity? Like when you can move terrain pieces with psychic powers yeah. and oh, it, <laughs> like the Death Star but That era. That's a
0: trope from like, I mean, that goes back to the dawn of 40K though. I mean, do you remember anti-plant missiles from Dark Reapers?
2: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But, it, but, but back then the the game was an RPG,
3: right?
0: Like right. it was not no, that's really. Fair. I'm just saying it's it's in line of like things that that happened in 40k. Well, oh, for sure.
3: For and sure. that was it... that was the problem. GW was applying this like do whatever is cool RPG philosophy to a game that we were trying to play competitively, and those two things could not interact in any reasonable way. Let
0: me tell you yeah. what wasn't part of 40k was war convocation yeah that, that was
2: <laughs> but you know what yeah. though work on work on for as as crazy as it was was fun like Warcon, i know, I, actually, I messed
0: around I- it was but it was like the it, that was like almost <laughs> like a, a a magnifying glass a snapshot of like what is kind con- of yeah. what is really crazy in 40k right now yeah nobody understood points. what was happening
3: yeah yeah so so uh yeah it so th- this It was, was very much me. a game... No, go sorry, go, go ahead, on. Pablo. No, no, go ahead. finish your thought. Uh, I was I'm just going to say, thing. like, this was an era in the game where there was no rule that was not violated somewhere. And, like, that yes. doesn't sound, like, super impressive, but there was literally no rule in the book that was not violated by some unit. Uh... It was so madness. like between Yanari and WarCon and all this other stuff, it's like you had units that were costing zero points. You had units that could take a full turn in the enemy phase. It was it was just it was impossible to keep up with.
2: Yeah, that, see, that's a I'll... good Jeff that's a good Jeff story, is that uh, he started to make his mark on the competitive scene with more convocation. And mm-hmm. he always laughed. He's like, Half of the skill is that nobody knows what I'm doing. Ha 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 But it was one hundred
3: percent true. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: It it was, sure, yeah.
0: I mean, thinking of, so, think of you know, Roots and Tyranids and that kind of stuff. I mean, there's mm-hmm. absolute great player. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Root Matt, this is when Matt Root
1: started winning with war complications as well. So this was this was the year that Matt he won, won the itc won the itc year. and luckily for yeah. you guys and for me i actually have a timeline because this is when chapter tactics started so the first <laughs> episode of chapter tactics was september 3rd 2016 right and Has and i remember that this yo yeah, oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Holy so crap so hold on so six three episodes later traitors hate if you remember that chaos space marine book Ugh. just yeah. came out uh Battle Company was, was huge. And uh, Episode 4 was beating Battle Company. Uh, and then Wrath of Magnus was December 3rd, 2016, was my Wrath of Magnus review. And that was when Magnus came out. So that, mm-hmm. um, And that was when, if you remember Wrath of Magnus, that was when Space Wolves got formations that were kind of cool. But then Zeach got like, all or Chaos Demons got all this crazy stuff that everyone yeah. yeah. was That's like, weirdness. what so, like, is going on?
0: W- when you had but, a formation that got like, plus one, one weapon skill and then there, the the other guy got a formation that was 600 free points
4: yeah
2: yeah the other guy's formation is like uh, you die if you come within uh, 60 well, inches of me you're and, like that and, seems better uh, and paul is
3: like uh, <laughs> literally like literally there were formations that did give you 600 points of free models yeah battle which Company. yeah it's, it's it's just ludicrous to think about it now but that was just the, this that was like that was not the most powerful army in the game at that point that's the no worst it was thing. A, it was
2: an upper middle strength army that played at 25 to 2600 points yeah,
1: yeah. That's, in, that's 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 <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Reese, real quick, with, with your permission, is it okay to talk about what you and Frankie were doing this time, or no? Because this was right when Chapter Tactics first started.
2: Yeah, it's it's okay.
1: It's been like three years, so that, uh,
2: that was when content on Frontline Gaming got real bad, except for Chapter Tactics. <laughs> well,
1: thank you. Um, so, so what happened Ouch. was Harsh GW saw hell. the writing on the wall at this point, right? And so, so Reese and Frankie were were at this point started uh, building up uh, the beginning skeletal frameworks of the edition that we had now and it wasn't just them it was gw saw the writing on the wall and that's the most important thing and so reese and frankie asked me to have a podcast to focus on seventh edition while while they were preparing the future right helping gw prepare the future right so this was a critical point in competitive 40k history when um you know people needed to step up and and you know keep everyone together keep everyone in seventh edition because you know uh we needed to stick together right because we we had all Mm -hmm. these crazy formations and so i remember everyone kind of set all the communities kind of like set their um kind of feet in the ground planted their positions like etc it said no warp spiders will jump infinitely that is just the way it goes (laughs) And, and you know it was it was yeah. a, it was really tumultuous because you had all these crazy formations that were coming out so you and you had all these weird rules interpretations that people had to interpret GW wasn't giving us anything and now we know why it's because they were busy working on eighth edition. So we needed to come up with with answers to all these questions to create a game and I'm actually surprised by how well it turned out right because when Matt Root came and won the ITC, I actually think seventh edition wasn't a bad spot, but the ITC and competitive 40k Was in a good spot, right? Because I think this is when we started streaming. Um, so we had the streamed LVO. uh, We had Brett Perkins uh, beat beat uh, Brandon Grant, and at the LVO was that was yeah that was Brett Perkins beating Brandon Grant at the LVO. Matt Root lost to Brett the in the top four, and Brandon Grant played um Justin Curtis in the top four, and and so this was you had Renegade you had Renegades which Forgeworld also
3: stepped in stepped into the no. ring
1: at this point too oh
2: yeah if only was, they hadn't it was like it was like Renegade uncle bad Codex? touch
3: yeah
1: <laughs> a, um and and the the big problems here and, and this is great because i remember the problems that we had during this tournament we, we had seventh edition problems but we were all in general comfortable enough with with an faq of some sort to lower or to, to basically restrict what GW is doing because if we played by the book 40k at this point you know you had the GW tournament where the dude won with three wraith knights right you had unmodified mm-hmm. d you had all these problems right insanity. so
2: insanity yeah so
1: yeah. we you know a lot of people a lot of competitive players specifically were kind of in this bubble of uh, almost safety where you know you had this faq you could fall back on or an faq that you could fall back on so you actually had some semblance of a competitive meta you could latch on to in addition to podcasts coming out and more content coming out and, and so it was still a growth point within that bubble but the rest of the 40k world was looking at 7th edition and wondering what the hell was going on Those poor poor jim bob in his garage playing with his buddies was wondering why his dark angels couldn't beat his buddies wraith knights Right. And he was just like, wow, this yeah. is awful. Right. So it, it, it was good and bad in a sense. Um, but I'm so glad that we were able to foster the competitive community and grow it to where it is now. And I think this is the transition point. Um, and also, this is when competitive 40K versus casual 40K really got at its most divisive. I think I, I remember getting into arguments uh, all the time with people around I- this time.
3: I don't think this that's is my true. personal opinion, but yeah, this is by this point, there are people in the community who have shown that you can be both a competitive player and have a really good-looking army and be a friendly and interesting person. Um, and I think that, along with, like, some of the, the work that some of the people publishing stuff and, like, doing podcasts and whatnot, um, have started to bring this rift back together. Um, now, that said, like, very few of the casual players went to tournaments because, like, you're in this stage where, like, a, a casual army has 0% chance of even winning a single game in a competitive tournament. Um, oh yeah, seventh edition
2: pe- was brutal in that way. Yeah. Like, a lot of high-caliber... high, high caliber, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Sean. No, go ahead. Uh, yeah, keep on. A lot of high-caliber tournament players now that are struggling a little bit look back to 7th fondly and it's like they're like oh in 7th it was a really a skill based game and I'm like yeah you felt that way because you won all the time because you beat the other player before you started rolling dice because you built an army that was basically invincible and just steamrolled people
1: Jeff Jeff used to love to talk about this uh, about the 7th edition Inari players and where they are now (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to name names but some (laughs) Jeff would go on and on about players who who played seventh edition in Ari, um, and and were really well, were really successful with it, and then it, transitioning the eighth edition. It was, it's just, anyways. Yes, you're 100. Well, seventh right. 7th yeah. edition
2: was the list writers edition, right? Like, yeah. a lot of people like people feel like in eighth edition it's very match dependent, which I I understand to an extent, but seventh edition was the edition that if you understood the way that the mechanics of the game worked, and and you put the right combo of units together into one. Uh, Death Star. It was Death Star edition, as as we called it. Yeah. You created a unit that was eliminated, like most of the variables from the game. You always hit. You always saved. You always moved a certain distance. It became more like chess, which I understand why some people would like that, but it almost killed the game. Right? Like
4: yeah,
3: it was it, it was really terrible
2: for, for the health of the overall hobby.
3: Well, because the thing to remember about that kind of thing is not just like it's list railing edition, but only a tiny, tiny subset of units and armies have any chance of winning at all. Um, like we, people complain about 8th edition and like, oh, I wish that this unit were better or whatever, but in 7th edition for basically the majority of the edition, you had three to five lists which could win a tournament, and then everything else was just out in the cold. There was Um, no
2: diversity at all.
3: Yeah, you could reasonably expect to play essentially the same army three times in the course of a six-round tournament. Right, but just with a different Um, aesthetic, like it was like...
2: Dogstar Imperial, Dogstar Chaos. Uh or, well, even no, the not Necron. even in,
3: I was going to say not even that diverse. Like I played yeah. like Eldar, Eldar with more warp spiders, Eldar with more wraith knights in a or single tournament. Hatch. And like that's that's three of my matchups right there. Huh. Yeah.
2: It was so just it was like soul crushing to play. Like was, yeah. like I gritted my teeth and I stuck it out because I had a vested interest in it but if I had not I would have been gone like I, I would have quit the game and started playing Drop Zone Commander or well, whatever well what like, anytime you have
0: that stagnation right I mean, I mean yep. it, it doesn't I mean the familiarity breeds contempt I think that's an adage mm-hmm you know, in, in some capacity, and you—you you, you, you coined you don't that phrase, Paul. I, I, no, yeah. I did not. I did not. <laughs> Just, kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. But you—you you get what I'm saying, right? It's like, yeah. So no. You, when you like, you knew in third edition, you knew you were going to have to like you, you in your local scene. You would have to get through a Space Wolves player or a Blood Angel player or something like that or whatever. But the, then it's like you—you you magnified it like ten times that. Uh, so you had to get through the same two or three lists. To your point, Sean at a mm-hmm. tournament and you would play them two or three times in a, in a five or six round tournament. And so you just, unless you were taking that list, you just, you were kind of just, tr- you know, treading water or wasting your time, you know, now, yep. and now that brings us full full forward in the eighth edition or whatever to where it's, it's much different. There is much more variance in what you will see on the table and, and I, I like it. I like it a lot. I liked it yeah. then. And you and reach your point of being a list builder uh, paradise. Uh, I think most editions. Up into this point, we're an absolute list builder's paradise, and now uh, we're at a point where we can see a lot more variance. You still get to you still get to flex your muscles with your list building, uh, but the 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 pool is wider.
3: It's so much wider than it's ever been before, yeah. Uh, Seventh was absolutely the worst in terms of, like, if you're not playing one of these handfuls of lists, you're just going to lose. But that that element is there to varying degrees in previous editions. Eighth edition has opened it up by several, like, factors or orders of magnitude. Like, there's so much more variance in what you see in eighth than we've ever seen at any point in the game's history.
2: Yeah, and, and now we have the data to prove it. It's not just yeah. our opinions, which, but previously it was all anecdotal. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be fair, like like Paul, Sean, us, you know, Mike, the guys at Adepticon, our our anecdotal evidence was usually actually pretty indicative of the way things really were. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't prove it. And now, thanks to thanks to things like Chapter Tactics, like uh, the Falcon and Forty K Stat Center and BCP, really BCP is the mm-hmm. It's
4: huge. The
2: core mechanism. Now we can actually prove these things to be true. It's no longer, well, based on my limited experience of being in a big fish in a small pond and the 15 people I play with regularly, orcs are terrible. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that means that the one dude playing orcs in your area is probably not very highly skilled or whatever or doesn't care. And that doesn't mean that orcs are bad. And then you can't go on the internet and with your big opinion <laughs> and your high-speed internet connection make other people think orcs are bad. Now we can look and go, you're absolutely objectively incorrect and they're, <laughs> they're one of the best factions in the game. So yeah. it's, we're in this golden age now that, where we can look at things, measure them, and then make educated decisions on where to go from here based on that data.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, and we and have enough data though- that the, ahead, the data
2: points to yeah. no one likes c z Initiative. <laughs> well, c the Initiative there. is a terrible Am rule. Am I right? It's, terrible <laughs> rule. It's
3: needless at this point. Um, like when you're already rolling off for Initiative, rolling off for a second time seems really weird.
2: The feel yep. no pain save to go first? Yes, it's awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I see I see. this as re-speaking as someone who always has the initiative seized on him, yes?
2: I, I, I've, I've I hate the rule. I've always hated the rule. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Paul yes, has given me PTSD for seizing initiative.
0: initiative. <laughs> uh, do, I don't know if you... Do you remember the first time we played?
2: Yeah, uh, it was Adepticon finals. You had your stupid blood angels, and stupid. I had my really cool space wolves... <laughs> and i lost because <laughs> you blew Not, up bjorn and turned him into an objective and I, my feelings got hurt
0: <laughs> so this was actually being streamed by the independent characters as well no that
2: was the second time that was the second time you oh was me. that i thought
0: that was the space Wolves one <laughs> no no what? no that was, okay all right
2: it was enough. when you're playing your gray knights and you were such an ass that <laughs> i hit a dreadnought on a hill and my i had three wraith knights which was pretty cheesy at the time and I shot him every turn, and I never even put a wound on him. I was rolling so badly. Wraith Lords. Wraith, Wraith. Lords, excuse me, mm, yes. Yeah. There was no Wraith Knights back then. And then Paul looks at me, and he goes, I'm not even going to move him off the hill, because I know you're never going to wound him. And I was like... <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> I was like, cold-blooded.
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, side, the first time we, he's playing his Space Wolves, right? And he's got his shooty Space Wolves. Uh, and and I'm talking about when I say shooty, he's got Bjorn. Uh, what do you got? Like, uh, like 15 long, uh, long or something. I
2: don't know, yeah, like I mean, a million of yeah. them
0: or whatever. And uh, three and I've three got,
2: land speeders, which were super cheesy at the time. Yep, yeah. Uh, and I've got
0: uh, Sanguiner, Mephiston, uh, a Storm Raven with some Terminators in it or whatever. And 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 like three assault squads. Like I'm not going to stand up to all that that firepower. You, you win the role to go first, and then I seized the initiative, and I was just like, all right, let's do this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. And then Mephysen cut Bjorn in half, and I was like, no! Because when he died, he turned into an objective, and then that Paul beat me based on killing my own guy. And I was like... Uh, this is my nightmare.
0: And then standing on it for the whole term, like, well you wanna yeah. you wanna you bring your, your your five marines over near Mephiston? I mean I'm cool with that. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: oh brother.
0: It was oh, the man. seas though. I mean like it would have been a, an absolute you know horror show had it not the yeah, seas.
2: Yeah. I would have blown you off the table. And then but then the second time we played was one of the first times a game was streamed and I still have pictures of that. Because it was such a seminal moment, not because it was me and you, but because it was one of the first times that a competitive game was put on the internet to view. And it was a big deal. Remember how many people were watching that game, Paul? There it was, was like, crazy. There was like 40 people, and it was like 7 in the morning.
4: Yeah,
0: the game <laughs> – the, 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 back then, Adepticon ran their their uh, finals, like their top eight or whatever. You had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Uh, yeah. To, to then go and play a couple of games. Yeah. Or whatever, four o'clock on on Sunday or something like after you've yeah. already had the whole con,
2: yeah, oh, man. and and making it because they would announce. I remember this so distinctly. Like at the end of the first day, they would announce the uh, top eight or sixteen. I think it was it was sixteen. Yeah, it was. They announced the top sixteen that made it into the finals, and it was a. This was the pinnacle of competitive forty k. There was nothing like this in the world at the time. And I remember the first year I made it, I played Tony Kopak, who was a baby at the time. Mm. And he and I played to a, a tie because it was, and it was such a good, it was, he was playing Space Wolves. I was playing Eldar. Eldar were the worst army in the game at the time. I know most people who are listening to this today can't believe that Space Wolves were the best, which also people listening now probably can't <laughs> believe that. And it was like, we had a crowd of people around the game and we played to a tie. And I was like, oh, son of a gun, I'm not going to make the finals. And number 16, because nobody knew again, like you couldn't look it up on BCP or whatever. Like, no one had any idea. And they're like number 16, who really wanted it, Reese Robbins. And you hear this guy in the back, like, F, yeah, <laughs> like jump in the <laughs> air. I was like, whoo! And I remember that moment. I was like, we have arrived. Like, competitive 40K is a real thing. There's hundreds of people watching this announcement, and then tens of people watching at the ass crack of dawn. And people were streaming it on the internet. I was like, "This is it. It's real. This is a legitimate thing."
4: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it was.
0: It was. It was really cool. That was the year that I, I played. You had your Footdar, and I, played, I was playing Grey Knights with yeah. uh, with um, uh, Paladin Star, essentially.
4: Oh that yeah. That was the
2: beginning of Death Stars, yeah. 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 You were
0: you were playing Footdar though. I mean, and it yep. was a game to the last moment.
2: It was. If my Wraith Lords would have blown up your Dread Dread Knight or, uh, or Dread not, I would have won, but they <laughs> you just
0: didn't. We both know that wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> Some
1: say to this day that Dreadnought still stands on that hill. But the uh-huh. part when he looked at out. me,
2: he looked at me in the middle of a, the most competitive game you could think of at the time, and he was like, I'm not even going to try to give him cover because I know you're not going to do it. I was like, damn, son. Damn.
3: <laughs> that's that's straight up Bade Ruth calling a <laughs> yeah, shot. Right. Just <laughs> points <laughs> that out into the stands and
1: great he was also it was right a good time wow. it was yeah good time. <laughs> can't argue <laughs> with success so so i want to talk about something um and then we'll talk about eighth edition and the future uh but one more thing and that that's streaming um and, and i've got another jeff story coming a little later um but i loved the fact that streaming was involved um uh, because it really set the tone for what we wanted from competitive 40k events right so streaming wasn't big it's the early days of of 40k streams there weren't a whole lot of people but a lot of people talked about 40k streams right so at this point i was really in tune with what people talked about um what people wanted out of 40k games and they really wanted live streaming right and so when frontline gaming started streaming and other people started streaming everyone was like oh cool frontline gaming streaming when they referenced um, our videos and our reports are like, oh, well, Frontline Gaming streamed this event, or they, so-and-so streamed this event, or, oh, there's a 40k stream, did you watch it? And though there weren't a lot of people that watched these, there was a lot of people talking about them. And um, we got some really great moments out of these streams. Uh, and my one of my absolute favorite moments uh, was, um, this is when I was helping Frontline Gaming with the streams. And I don't think I was working, I was working for you guys, because the Death Watch Overkill box had just come out, and it, it was stupidly busy. Uh, and this was when um, uh, we'd moved to the new place and uh, a guy came to the studio to propose to his girlfriend on stream, right? And this is when I knew that that we had that people really wanted streams and people really thought this was something special uh, because he wanted to propose to his girlfriend on stream. And I was like, whoa, this is like something you see, y- you know, like not in the movies, but like on a YouTube video, right? Or like, like this is so cool. He wants to propose to his girlfriend on stream. And I remember being super busy. Uh, Reese and Frankie, I, I think this guy had emailed Reese, but he forgot about it. And so when he showed up, he was like, <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. And we we're like, "Uh, Reese was like, I got to go. Frankie's like, I'm super busy. I'm like, I'm super busy. Lo and behold, Jeff was there. Um, right. I was right after there was the week after the LVO or some, sometime after the LVO. and He came down to hang out and uh, Jeff was there. And Reese and Frankie were like, Jeff, please play this guy on stream is we can't play him. We're all so busy. And Mariana had to leave halfway through the stream. So I had to uh, take over the stream halfway through the halfway point. Right. And so that's what it was. This guy showed up. He was going to propose to his girlfriend on stream. Jeff was going to play him. And I was going to, I was going to um, relieve Mariana halfway through the stream. Stage is set. So I'm watching this in the corner of my eye while unboxing up boxes. And Jeff is steamrolling this poor guy. It is, it is not even close. You know, he's he's trying his best. He's sweating, his he's moving around and Jeff is just being
2: Jeff. <laughs> Classic Jeff, if he's sweating and swaying, he's yeah. super into the game. <laughs>
1: yeah. And and um and uh Jeff is steamrolling this poor guy. And when I go went up there, um I realized, oh no, this guy's getting destroyed and he's gonna propose to his girlfriend so i went over to the stream to go relieve mariana i was like mariana did you tell jeff that he's proposing to his girlfriend on stream and mariana's like oh, no why and i was like well jeff is beating him really badly and mariana's like because she doesn't know anything about 40k at this point she's like oh, really
4: <laughs> and, so,
1: <laughs> and so i was like oh my gosh <laughs> i'd let this go on so uh no one told Jeff that he was playing that he was planning to propose to his girlfriend. Jeff brought like a killer list, like his LVO list. This guy brought like kind of a fluffy, I think it was a red space marines list. I don't exactly remember. Um so I pulled while the guy was doing his thir- third turn his movement phase, I pulled Jeff off to the side and I was like, "Hey Jeff, he's he's going to propose to his girlfriend on stream. Um so I need you to like let up a little bit." And and Jeff was like, "I'm sorry, I can't. It's
3: <laughs> it's too late." It's That's like <laughs> 100%, Jeff, right there. Yeah, he would never
1: ever. Yeah, he was like, he,
4: off the gas.
1: he didn't say no because Jeff wasn't completely heartless. He knew that you know this was special for the guy, but at the same time, it was like it was like a guy who who had, like the title match. He just beat up on the contender, and then the referee's like, "Hey, could you slow it down?" And the guy looks at his gloves and blood on them, and he's like, "Well, I think it's too late now, but I'll <laughs> I'll do my best." And, and so Jeff went back there. Um, he played the game. Uh, good news. The guy, the guy, even though he got absolutely steamrolled by Jeff, he proposed to his girlfriend. She said yes. It was very happy. And then in the post game interview, um, I'll never forget this. Jeff told the guy, you know, I was just getting you ready for what married life would be like.
2: <laughs> you know, nice he's save. nice, safe. The, yeah. the guy looks at him. And he goes, "Man, you didn't uh, pull your punches." And yes. Jeff was like, "I just wanted you to get a taste of what married life is like." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i'll never so forget it so good and you know the there were a lot of great stream moments with jeff um that they'll always remember fondly but I, I i love that we streamed every week and i love that there was a stream going on at tournaments because you created you know those moments and even though at times there weren't a lot of people watching right i remember there were times when there was like eight people watching on stream. And I was like, why are we doing this? This is, this is just a chore. Um, But it was important now looking back on it because so many people talked about 40 K streaming. They made it sound like it was this huge deal, even though no one watched it. And um, it was something I took for granted that now I definitely don't take for granted. Um, And so uh, if you are someone who is listening or uh, watching and consuming 40 K streaming, um, you know, just try to be positive because 40k streaming is, is the future. And it's um, also one of the main reasons why competitive 40k stuck around and grown as much as it is today. Um, so that's uh, yeah, just my little spiel.
3: Oh, I was just gonna say it's it's not the times when there's only eight guys watching that matter because those are gonna happen, but they're always gonna happen. There's nothing you can do about that. But there's other times when there's 120 or 150 or 500 guys watching, uh, and those are the times that do matter. And you can't have those unless you're willing to push through all the times when there's yeah. eight guys.
1: Yeah, and and now we have multiple tournaments running, successful streams. Um, and, yeah, you know it's great. So, uh. Paul um as a as a podcaster someone who 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 reports on tournaments and reports on what's going on in the scene and talks about you know these things what did streaming mean to you uh going into eighth edition
0: oh i mean it's inspiration I mean, you uh when you see people playing you you uh, you kind of you can relate to them you are like oh i make the same mistakes that they did or or i never thought about doing that with a list or i never thought of approaching the terrain in that way um, I think it's, it's, it's such an amazing, uh, way to communicate, you know, and, and not, I mean, I do in mostly verbal meetings. I mean, we publish about a report every now and then, but it's mostly, we talk about the stuff, but when you can see the stuff, uh, in the way that the, the, the physics of the game take on a whole new light. Um, and I think it helps people get more comfortable seeing how people interact with each other as well. The table talk, uh, the way to get comfortable moving miniatures, which is one step closer to people getting out to actual tournaments. So I'm a big fan. Right on. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So uh, let's go ahead and transition into the final part of the podcast. We're coming up on uh, almost two hours. Uh, uh, it is an absolute marathon episode, but I could not imagine it any other way. Eighth um, edition. Eighth edition rules around everyone's hype. This is this is the absolute hype edition. Uh, and I, I don't want it's, to... It's very recent now. Uh, well, not very recent. Eighth edition's been around for two years now. Um, June it came out in early June. So I think we're in the third year now. Actually, let me check the yeah. numbers. So eighth edition it came out two summers 2017 to yeah. two, two, June 11th, yeah. 2017 um, yep. was when I made the first 40 K eighth edition chapter tactics episode. So it was somewhere between May and early June. I think it was early June, but well, back when GW actually released things when they said they did shots, shots of fire GW. <laughs> um, Cause they said it'd come out in early June. Two years two years rolled by and eighth uh, edition is big it it's it's the hype edition uh, what have you guys loved the most about what's something new that's come out in eighth edition that you guys love um, that we we only got in eighth edition and I know this is a harder question so you can take your time to think about it but
0: this is something I wanted to ask you guys I'm gonna go with stratagems I mean that's mm-hmm. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's something that it's a it's an it's an element of the game where you can either play into or try to play without, but it's something that you can game from the very beginning. It's something you can decide in your in your list design, like what how much gas you think you need. Uh, and then I, I love discussing what the burn rate of command points in your army is uh, on the show. I mean, that's, that's one of the things to where you can... Um, you know it's something you have to really think about along the way and it affects not just what you're playing it affects what you build and bring to the table i appreciate that
3: right on i think for me it is gw's level of involvement and awareness of the competitive game and like how people feel and where the game is going Because especially compared to 7th and 6th, like GW actually cares what people think about the game and about the rules, and they're willing to step in when there's a rule that is clearly absurd or overpowered or being played in a way that they feel is inappropriate, and they'll step in and say, you know, okay, here's an FAQ that fixes that. Um, Because in earlier editions, like, if a rule was written badly and there was just, like, something stupid going on, that's just how it was get ready to live with it for the next four years um but that's not true anymore gw is now willing to step in and say like "Ooh, malefic lords should not have been that cheap we're gonna change their price uh or actually we don't think that's how the fly rule is supposed to work we're going to clarify it um and these decisions are not always right but GW is making an active effort to improve the game, and I think that speaks a lot to how much they care about the edition.
1: Uh, one of one of my favorite things is uh, how l- legitimate it is uh, to be competitive, or how how legitimate the competitive community is getting um, on a, a global scale. Right? So uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot more competitive 40k podcasts. It is ridiculous. I feel I feel like I I. Every time I log on to Facebook, I see like a new competitive 40k podcast that someone's talking about or someone points out to me and says, hey, have you heard this or or it's a podcast that talks about competitive 40k, right? It's it's whereas when I first started playing. Um, there was no real competitive focused 40k podcast
2: except for signals from the front line a-
1: and um, i don't think i've
3: ever heard of that one what's <laughs> is, is there anyone good on it or
1: no no definitely okay no I, yeah apps. i didn't figure yeah,
3: yeah. you wouldn't Forge uh, have
2: narrative is pretty dope though and for, forged,
1: <laughs> i was gonna say forged narrative forged narrative. you guys you guys did a good job talking about tactics and talking about things like that but you know back then a 40k podcast had to be holistic not solely focused on competitive 40k you know so which is harder by the way but i could not i could not write a podcast like you guys do at ford's narrative like with all the different topics and actually being topical and and relevant um i couldn't do that at all but uh the point is is that when when i wanted a competitive 40k podcast solely focused on just competitive 40k nothing else um i couldn't find it back then and now you know there's a lot, and if you have a competitive 40k podcast, uh, or if you're thinking about doing it, please keep doing it or do it. It it only grows our community. Um, you know, I support you 100% of the way. Uh, and then the second thing, what I mean by legitimately, le- legitimately, um, competitive 40k is growing is that there's a lot more players that are super competitive at large tournaments, right? And so, um, I was talking to Reese about Slaughterfest, uh, that just happened this past weekend, and I, I was in the bottom tables day two, right? I was, I started off one and two. Uh, and I was like, oh, now I get to go into the kiddie pool, have some fun games. And that was absolutely not the case. My first game, day two, going one and two, uh, was against Triple Caladius, a Knight, and a Loyal 32 Guard with tank commanders.
0: And I was like, <laughs> what? The heck is going on here like this is that's the worst I, when you feel like you're swimming in the kiddie pool and you're running into somebody else who also bubbled down no I, I, the <laughs> thing is is the thing is is this guy was a really good player but i don't believe he
1: bubbled down i think he just i think he just oh well, he probably did bubble down but i think that he only bubbled down because there were so many good players at this event with so many good lists and then the second player i played was playing 25 grotesques or it was like it was like 20 grotesques in a really competitive Dark Eldar list. And I was like, oh my gosh, like where is the Space Wolves player? Like, where?" <laughs> um, and then the final game I played was against uh, uh, Matt Neely, um, who was running a Tau gun line and absolutely destroyed me. You know, so every game I played, with the exception of the first one, um, where I played someone who, this was legitimately like his first 40k ITC event and 40k tournament. And even then he had a nasty list. He had triple uh, tank commanders with, with Astro Militarum drop troops. Um and then a bunch of guards went everywhere. Like it was a really good list. Um Uh it, you know, it's just the amount of competitive lists, the amount of people who are adopting the idea that they wanna do well with these lists, uh, is just great. I, I love it.
2: I, I can one up you there, buddy. Ooh, let's do it. Uh my second game at the Slaughterfest tournament, which was an amazing, great tournament, mad respect to veteran gamers re enlisted because they did such a good job. Uh, I rock up to the table and I just won a game. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. And he was like, oh, by the way, uh, he's like, this is my first tournament ever. I was like, ever? Like, he's like, yeah, I've never played in a tournament before. I was like, I just wanted to get into competitive 40k. I was like, okay, dude, don't worry about it, man. We'll we'll, we'll take it easy. This will be a learning game. And, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Like, I've played in lots of tournaments. We're going to have a fun time. He then proceeds to deploy in a perfect castle and inform me, like, if you come within 36 inches, I'm going to annihilate you. I was like, Hmm. <laughs> All right. And I was like, are you sure this is your first tournament? Cause you had like literally perfect deployment. Like that was extremely good. And he was like, I've been preparing this for this moment by listening to podcasts and watching video bat reps. He's like, I didn't want to come to my first tournament unprepared. I was like, yeah. Uh. And then he proceeded to just to, to blow me off the table. And I was like, well done. You're doing pretty good for your first tournament. <laughs> and that to your point Pablo like it's indicative of how far we've come as a competitive community like a lot of people out there like they're maybe not like you know slit your throat competitive like oh I'll do anything to win like the actual whack person but if they're going to go to an event where the objective is to win games they're going to try and come as prepared as possible and we're seeing more and more people draw on all the vast resources that we have now Like you mentioned, like the wealth of podcasts, video about reps, live streams, all this stuff. The Warhammer community page actually has good advice from from time to time. Yeah. Which is And it's like which is unheard of. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Remember like the the white dwarf battle reports where it was just like laughable?
3: Like Getting their rules wrong, straight up inventing rules for stuff is just like the yeah. guys that
2: wrote the codex were getting
3: the rules uh-huh. wrong. It's like my Tyranid warriors with fleet and all the Tyranid players are like, yes, they finally have it. And then the codex comes out <laughs> like,
2: they don't fucking have fleet. What the hell? <laughs> and the guy was, you know, it's like a Phil Kelly or somebody who's awesome, you know, like the yeah. super cool people like, oh, by Jove, I should have given him that rule. Shouldn't I have? And like, <laughs> Well, the ship has sailed. But yes, you know, now it's <laughs> yes. 10 yes. years right. until you update it. Uh huh. My favorite thing about 8th edition, though, uh, is the the explosion in popularity of the game. Like, regardless of what any of the naysayers say, this edition of the game is so dramatically more popular than anything that's ever come before. It's measurable. It's, it's objective fact. The uh, GW stock tripled in one year, which is insane. It's insane for any company, especially one that's 45 years old or whatever. GW. It's like that, that is like unheard of growth. They outperformed British petroleum in the British Stock Exchange. They were the number one stock in the entire country for the year. That's madness. That means that there's so many more people buying Games Workshop product that it's it was unprecedented. Like they they were running their factories 24 hours a day, couldn't keep up with demand. So if anybody mm-hmm. was out there like trying to order product from your local game store and it was taking weeks to get it. It's because GW literally couldn't make it fast enough. That's how popular the edition was. People that had quit the game and hadn't played for years came out of the woodwork. So that was amazing. And it was, it was coupled with a lot of things, in my opinion. Uh, the rules being good is, is first and foremost. The models being beautiful, obviously, is paramount. But it was also, like uh, Sean was saying, the fact that GW reached out to the community and said, like, I know it's been – that I haven't been answering your calls, but I didn't actually hate you, babe. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about you the whole time, and let's get back together. And, you know, like a lonely ex who's maybe gained a couple pounds and not looking as good as they once were, welcome them right back. And, and then <laughs> that's the way it went, you know. And then it was with the explosion of social media, like Pablo was talking about, it was this like tidal wave of, of people wanting – like wanting it to be good, and then it was good, and here we go. It's like there's no telling where the, the upper limit of this is because there's so much weight and, 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 and enthusiasm behind this wave that it's there's no telling where we're going to end up.
0: Well, this edition rewards us. I mean, I was talking earlier about the time we spend in between the games, not actually playing the game, all that kind of stuff, and this edition really does reward all that
4: mm-hmm yep. yep
1: it's it's um uh I've, I've said it before and i'll keep saying it until the day i die this is definitely a golden age of 40k that we're in um and you know we definitely got to live in the moment and drink it up
2: uh, yeah what, you're right uh, you're absolutely right
1: so one other one byproduct of this uh that, that doesn't concern me but it's something i just want to put out there um and then we'll go ahead and wrap this up as well uh because You know we're hitting at two hours and we still need to get to the Patreon questions and everything, Um, and that's the this this game. I don't see a downswing. I I, I, it it's still growing. It's still popular. It's getting more and more popular every day. Um, I am not going to stop doing what I do. What I do. Uh, I know Reese isn't. I know Paul isn't. No one looks like they're stopping. It only looks like it's going to get better and better. And with that, you know, in addition to a new or new show coming out um and everything else 40k is going to grow it's going to grow very rapidly very quickly um more than it has now and i can't wait um but what i ask of everyone everyone listening um everyone who who maybe isn't listening um if if you can telepathically hear my message and that's that because we're going to have a lot of new players added to this game and hobby that we love please 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 be a good ambassador you know please do your absolute best you know, don't be toxic, uh, be fun, talk about the game in a positive light as best as you can. I understand that there will always be people griping, you know, not just the game, but hobbying everything. Uh, you know, if, we, if we're if we good ambassadors, then this can really maybe turn into something super special. You, you know, maybe we get televised. That'd be that, you know, that's like the super pipe dream. Maybe we get actual professional players with licenses or, or whatever. Right. So it's,
2: it's, it's not a pipe. Just dream. remember that. They literally wrote an article about Jeff, on in ESPN, like about st- he because of his impact on Starcraft. It's not a pipe dream. It's real. It's a, a an achievable goal. Like before Jeff, and not not like it's just because of him, but before people like Jeff, an an article in ESPN about people that commentate Starcraft was the most laughable thing you could have ever heard. It'd be like tits on a bull like it's not something that was even fathomable and here we are they're commemorating him so believe believe it's all possible like you were saying pete like i'm sorry to interrupt you pablo but Mm -hmm. be an ambassador of the hobby and do it with pride do it without shame do it without fear because if you love it it's cool and other people are going to love it too
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: that's that's one of the great things about nerd culture it's like everyone when we all realize that we are all in this we all do this. Like everyone does it. We can actually talk about it and, and do it. And this is, uh, I encourage people all the time too. It's like, if you are called to do something like this, then do it. Like the barrier to entry is so low. At, I mean, and I mean that like, like getting a mic is not, you know, a Herculean effort. You can get one getting, I use free software to record my show on. you like, it's or edit my show. You can do it. But, uh, people will will respond to the passion that you put into it and i and i think that's a, a you know big thing to jeff's credit as well like he did he he really uh, he attacked this stuff yep
2: he did, he did.
0: okay <clears throat> any final
1: thoughts before we move on to the conclusion segment no? Alright. Uh so at the end of every episode, uh we like to open it up to the patrons from our Patreon um to ask questions uh, about the topic, about uh whatever we have on our minds, uh just whatever. So if you'd like to do that, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics, sign up. Um it's only five dollars a month. It's not that big of a deal. It really helps me out and helps us out as well. Alright, so the first ep- the first question is um uh this one's a really fun one from Patron Tim. Uh, Reese, what was your worst 40k loss to Jeff, and what was your greatest <laughs> victory?
2: Okay, well, that's easy. Oh, well, right. My greatest victory, all of them. Because anytime <laughs> I beat Jeff, I could rub it in his face, and it was the best thing of my life. But my worst <laughs> loss was the, the Salt Fest, the Salt Mine of all time, which I can't believe people like it because I was so embarrassed when I watched the game when it was Jeff uh, and I playing, and it turned into the biggest salt factory ever <laughs> but that's the way jeff and i always were like he would he and i were like brothers and oftentimes when you love someone and you also want to beat them always it, there's so much emotion uh, injected into any competition uh that's probably why we were friends but um yeah. there was the, the the saltiest salt fest of all salt fests when i was just being so bitter and shitty <laughs> on On the video and uh, he beat me he defeated me quite fairly and soundly and i was just being such a like salty sailor and afterwards i watched it and uh, i realized how unpleasant i could be and it literally changed my life like i I, I watched it and i was like uh, i was like reese if that was another person and you were watching it as a, a, a a third party observing this person's behavior how would you feel about it and i was like i would think that person was kind of a shithead and i wouldn't want to play him and then I was like, okay, well, that was me. So I don't think I should ever behave that way again. And so I've done everything in my power to like curb the impulses and the emotions that drive you to being uh, negative and such in a game and try to always be positive and friendly in every game that I play. I feel like that's more important than winning or losing the game. And uh, it's positively impacted my life and my career. So for for me, that's the ultimate Jeff experience was – him driving me to the point of insanity <laughs> and uh, <laughs> being so mad that I was uh, acting like a complete dick mm-hmm. and, uh, and never d- wishing to never do that again.
1: Uh, Tim, I- I'd like to answer this question too because I-, I feel like I have a really good answer to both of those. Um, and that's the worst 40k loss of Jeff uh, was when I first played him and I thought I had victory because of a stupid grot and then he tied the game and to me that was a loss. That was, that was the very first time I played him um, but The Greatest Victory was also the most fun game, one of the most fun games i have ever had, and it was it was Battle Company versus his ADMEC, his War Complication, and it was this was both of us at the the top of our games playing two of the best lists, um, and I needed to kill his warlord to win, and so I outflanked Tank Shocked a Rhino, outflanking, and Tank Shocked his warlord, who was an ADMEC tech priest guy. Uh, and he failed his morale test. And back in 7th edition, if you, if you failed in test, you had to run a certain amount of inches, like immediately after you failed it. And so his his tech priest dominus was this was hammer and anvil, and he was about halfway up the board. And so I outflanked him, made him run. Uh, uh, outflanked tank shocked, made him run. fell back two d six inches, and then my next tank came in on that exact same side. The rhino tank shocked him again. He fell back another two d six inches, and I like, daisy chained him all the way until he ran off the board and died. And I got warlord. And the entire time, Jeff was just reading the rules on Tank Shot, and you're like, "Is this how this works? This is Reese. Reese, get in here!"
3: Uh, that is also a very Jeff thing to do—is like yeah. to get to get caught by some weird little rule like that and be like, "Are you sure that's how this works?" Yeah. Oh,
1: it was so it was so fun. And then afterwards, he was just like, "Well, Pablo, you you won that way." And. uh... I- <laughs>
2: He, he never was he never got daunted, ever. No. Like, ever. No. Like, yeah. Because when he first started coming to Frontline Gaming, and I'm I'm sorry to, to butt in, but no, when he first started coming to Frontline Gaming, Frankie and I would smash his ass every single time we played. And I was like, dude, you're so insistent on getting a game with either Frankie or myself. Like, why? And he's like, you guys are the wizards of 40K. You're the best players I know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play you until I beat you. Yeah. And I sat there and I looked at him and I was like, This is a true competitor. Like, he doesn't ever let his ego get in the way of trying to achieve his goal. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was a good analogy for him as just a person.
1: Yeah. Um, All right. So, the next question, uh, and I'm going to ask this of Paul first, um, because it's also a pretty good question now. What is each host's favorite moment from a 40K tournament? And so, this can be kind of broad. So, uh, try and keep Mm. it just one single moment from a 40K tournament. And I'm going to start with you, Mr. Paul Murphy.
0: I've got three moments. It's every oh, time it. I've seen on Reese. Oh, I love it's it. three
2: times. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel them all in my soul. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, my my actual. I mean, this is going to sound kind of trite, but it's it's the first Grand Tournament I ever won. I I I beat a guy uh, it, who was at the time who had won both fantasy and forty K tournaments, and it was my second. It's the first time I ever really traveled to a tournament. It's the first time I had the means to travel. Um, and the guy who I, who I ended up winning against, he had played a buddy of mine that I traveled. It was like 14 of us had traveled up in a van to Baltimore. I mean, we're serious. <laughs> you know, i not getting up there. Um, and, uh, he had, he had played him and beat that guy that one of my buddies the, the, the game before. And the game that we played, he walked by and said that I know that guy he's pointing to me. He's like, he can't play when he's been drinking. And so that guy, Proceeded to feed me beer after beer. <laughs> he was an absolute super guy, uh, but it was a he's playing Tyranids and ended up winning that game um, oh. at, on a hail mary last cannon shot that took out a card effects. And I'm still <laughs> friends, still friends with some of the people to, the, to that day, to this day.
1: Um, <clears throat> uh, okay, so next, uh good actually, Sean and Bree.
3: Um. I think mine is less like a single moment, uh, but this was one of the years at uh, T-Shift that I went up to that uh, the like a whole bunch of the, the front line guys came up. It was Frankie and Reese. I don't think you were there, but no. there was there was probably like half a dozen or, or more of them that were all at that one tournament. And over the course of the five-round tournament, I ended up playing four of them Um And back then, the Team Zero Comp had, like, a challenge thing where you could, like, challenge their members, and then if you you won, then you were, like, maybe allowed onto the team and stuff. And after I beat all four of them that weekend, I was kind of like, hey, (laughs) can I get on the team now that I've beaten, like, four members? Because, like, I never, like, declared a challenge, but I figure I, like, basically have it by default at this point. Uh, And I remember Reese was kind of like, yeah, okay, because, uh, like, you played me, like, round four or five yeah. in that one. That yeah, that was when you beat me
2: with your uh, uh, taudar correct?
3: Yeah, that was taudar back yeah. in the good old days. Yeah,
2: I remember yeah, that it was,
3: game. It was a brutal game. Like, you guys certainly gave me a run for all money, but it was, like, that was, that was why I felt really good about it, just because it was, like, I got to play a bunch of really good players and have a good time doing so.
2: Hmm.
1: What about you, Mr. Reese?
2: Uh oh, favorite favorite tournament moment
3: every time there's you've two- been seized on
2: oh no i hate all those. <laughs> <laughs> there's just there's i don't um, know one time i was playing god. chaos you
0: were playing Tyranids. Two-
2: every moment against paul murphy was my least favorite <laughs> <laughs> no my okay i'm uh god that's such a i've been to so many tournament tournaments i think my favorite yeah. i if i'm gonna be if i'm gonna be super real like my my favorite tournament moment was with the first time I made it to the Adepticon finals because I wanted wow. it so bad. I was so young; it meant so much to me to be validated as a skilled player. And back then, there was only Daka Daka, and I knew in my head I was like, I could go back and be like all those guys that talk trash to me. I could tell you, hey, I did it and you didn't. So go suck an egg.
4: And you know, now <laughs> as an
2: adult, I don't care at all what anybody else thinks. But back then, it was like so meaningful. And I won it in such dramatic fashion. I was the last guy to qualify, so that—that that is definitely, I think, my best, my best moment.
1: Right on. Um, uh, my favorite moment from a forty k tournament was from a tournament I didn't attend, um, and that was actually <laughs> recently. Um, I actually thought about this question long and hard. Um, and that's when uh, Mr. Brandon Grant won the LVO and the ITC championship.
2: That was epic. Um, hmm.
1: There was there's yeah. so many great moments in forty k tournaments that I'd been into personally. Um, but I think that was by far one of the most impactful ones and um, just the the amount of people who who were so happy that Brandon won um, and how happy Brandon was and how much you know he's a close friend of mine as well. Um, it, you know brought a little manly tear to my eye. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I was really really, really happy for him. Um, so I think that was he's probably oh he's so good. he's yeah. such a great guy and it was yeah. it was so impactful from just from a narrative perspective for the competitive community. Right, so there was so I didn't realize how many people knew who Brandon Grant was, um, until I went online after that tournament and I found out he won. Like it, he was all over Reddit, he was all over random YouTube channels, uh, on Facebook, people were tagging him everywhere. Uh, it was it, if we have a household name in forty k, uh, not including Jeff. Uh, Jeff is was already a household name to begin with, He was already super famous. Um, but if we had a, a guy who who became a household name. Just just off of his 40k merit, I would say that it's Brandon Grant. He's um, when we look at uh, a search engine optimization, when we're looking at that uh, with Val earlier, Brandon Grant was one of the keywords that that were most popularly searched when it came to 40k tournaments, which was which is crazy, right? Because he he's a player, he's not like a keyword, you know. So it was cool. It was it was it was pretty cool. So um, that was probably my absolute favorite moment, and I imagine I'll have another one, you know, coming up. Uh, but uh, last question, um, Mr. Adam wants to know uh, what do you do, what do we see as the biggest triumphs and failures in the scene currently? So um, uh, w- what are what are some of the biggest triumphs and what are the things that that um, we absolutely probably should keep working on as a community or something that you might want to see maybe not necessarily as a failure, uh, but it's something that you think we could improve on as a community as a whole or in the scene.
2: Who, who would think, you like to speak first, buddy?
3: Uh, well, who's ready to speak first? <laughs> I, I think I've got something. Um, okay. I, as much as I love this game, we are struggling a lot with the community with how long it takes to play. Um, because that that does, like, limit engagement. Like, it's hard to just drop in and watch a game of 40k because it takes three hours. Um, and... I'm not sure how exactly that's going to get solved. If they, you know, GW is going to have to make ninth edition, or if there's some way to speed the game up otherwise. But bringing the game time down to two hours or an hour and a half, I think, will make it a lot more accessible to a lot of people. Uh, So I think that's something that the the game does struggle with right now is just like the sheer investment required. Uh,
2: Paul or Reese. I think um, for me, with my somewhat unique perspective, the the thing I love the most is the people in the community. And I think that we have a wonderful and healthy community of people that care about each other and they come together, they try to help each other. And that, that, that to me is the best part. But then at the same time, you have people in the community that try to game the system in a negative way, um, whether that be by... Uh, pushing the rules or you know any kind of like negative uh, behavior that's outside of the rules of the game and they use that as leverage to try to win a game or, or whatever the case may be. they, ding, they bring dis- disrepute to what we're doing and they turn people away from the hobby by their actions. And so to me that's the thing that I would love to stop the most and like the code of conduct has come a long way in that, but um, it can be difficult to change behavior in people. But for me, people that try to play outside the game, outside of the spirit of the game and uh, leverage that in ways to do things that are untowards. Um, those are the things I would like to see stopped. And that's my least favorite part of the hobby at this time.
4: Yeah. All right, Paul.
0: Uh, well, I think you know not to just jump on that answer, but I think I think we do have uh, kind of a, a a rough go because we we a big topic we just had on the show on on my show is clocks and clock management. Like our clocks good for the game, our clocks the clocks I think clocks add to the drama and add to the intensity and add to the stuff for competitive games. It's like how how do we how do we reach that next um, plateau? of of competitive games without compromising all that other stuff that we talked about, the narrative side, the, the, the the modeling side and that kind of stuff. Like how do we preserve both things? And I think those are big challenges that we have ahead. Uh, I mean, not that, not that we can't deal with them. We're certainly capable of dealing with them, but um, rationalizing them and making them uh, all better at the same time is going to take a little effort and support.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well said
1: right on okay that was the last question uh thank you very much for listening if you uh like what you heard from mr paul murphy
0: paul where can they find you uh you find us on uh dot net. you find us on itunes all basically all the podcast aggregators and on youtube uh you can find us
1: right on uh and uh mr sean or can they listen more about listen to more of your beautiful voice
3: uh, we have In the Finest Hour, which similarly can be found on a, a lot of the different uh, podcast apps and aggregators and whatnot. Uh, we do episodes every week, just like Chapter Tactics, so if you're looking for something a little more condensed, maybe not as broad-reaching, uh, then give us a listen.
1: Right on. And then finally, Reese, we all know where we can find you. You've been there for the last 20 years, but once again... 20 <laughs> in, in years?
2: It's been four score and seven years, young man. <laughs> Seems reasonable. Seems accurate.
1: But if someone was new and didn't know where to listen to you on a weekly basis, where would they go?
2: They can find me and ye old salty banana over at Signals from the Frontline, which is on, uh, yeah, like all the stuff, Pandora, uh, Podbeam, and, you know, The other places to get the pods and the casts.
0: Did you just list the three places that podcasts don't exist?
2: I think I did. I don't know. (laughs) Mariana presses the buttons. I just say the words. Fair enough, fair enough. on.
1: All right, guys. If you're wondering where we got all the awesome stats that we talked about, we didn't talk about a whole lot of stats, but we did mention them. Uh, You can go to 40kstats.com where Peter the Falcon is doing a great job. You can also check out his and Val's new show. 40k stat center uh, for all your espn sports style coverage for 40k tournaments Uh, you can also download the best Coast pranks player app if you're looking to look at top lists from tournaments with a small subscription fee and then finally go to frontlinegaming.org where you can purchase all the cool stuff and if you have any questions at all about anything we talked about if you just want to say hi if you have any questions you can always email me Frontline Gaming, pdpob at gmail.com and I will answer them as soon as I see them. Anyways, thank you very much for listening. You are all the best listeners in the world. Thank you to the wonderful guests and co-hosts for coming on so much, and as always, have
4: a good one.
2: Good night, everybody.